So yeah, we're going to have a chat about world building and ideas that we've never got around to doing anything yeah. with and stuff, won't we? So, mm. I mean, you know, mm. be interested to sort of like think about your sort of concepts of world building. So, I mean, fiddling around, so uh, as I was saying to you before, when I was fiddling around looking at the uh, Freeport uh, bits mm. and pieces and the 50 campaign things, you know, the, which is kind of like the good versus evil, you know, the law versus chaos and, uh, you know, mm. you know, the, you know, the, the underdogs, the right? Classics. You know, the classics and bits and pieces. And, I don't know about you guys, but when I'm building a world, I am kind of thinking that's kind of sitting in, sitting behind my mind sort of thing. Um, because I'm going to build something very different if it's going to be a political intrigue. In fact, if it's political intrigue, it might well just be a city. Mm. Um, and there are stuff around in the area that you might have to go out to, but the majority of the time you're going to be in court and bits and pieces and doing stuff like that. I must admit it's not my idea of fun, but I actually have ran a, ran a couple of, well, ran a couple of interlink sessions rather than a campaign, I think is probably the best way to describe it, um, mm-hmm. where uh, we were playing stuff and one of my mates uh, ran a game where we were all drow, male drow. Mm. That was quite exciting in a, okay, so how do we, you know, we're all stupidly powerful, but the females are that little bit more powerful and they're, uh, and they're all batshit crazy and we're not. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's always been my ambition to, to end up as giant <laughs> cave lobster food. A noble goal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, looking at that list, this, this is in the uh, Freeport. Uh, yeah campaign themes, I think they're going off in, in a lot of different directions. I mean, some of them are saying, you know, a, a gritty, unflinching campaign or a campaign that's trying to emulate a specific yeah. world of fiction or whatever. And some of them are saying, okay, um, historical or yeah. on the high seas. So I, th- I think several of these you can actually yeah, they're, combine. Yeah, they're definitely not all the same type yeah, of beer and pretzels. idea. <laughs> And we're back, and we're, yeah. and we're back to you and I talking about, talking about going down the pub, Roger. There we are. <laughs> yeah. It, it's like some of them are something approximating high concepts. And some of them are, you know, horror, comedy. That, that is a yeah. very mm. difficult thing from, Tyrants versus rebels, and as a very, and both are very different from exploration. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things for me is that I think the standard term is top-down versus bottom-up design. I I love doing yes. top-down design. Say here here is the big picture of the world, and then fill it in stage by stage. But that's also one of my classic problems. You know, my, I've got these PCs doing this, and I've got the world's big conflict over yeah. all the way over there. I made stereo this <laughs> problem. Uh, and how how do I get them to meet? Yeah, you know, what what is the tentacle reaching down from the big conflict that, yeah. that involves the PCs in it? And yeah, I mean I've answered that question for several campaigns, but it's it's yeah. it's tricky for me. Yeah. The... Uh, I was realizing as a as a player, I mean I lo- I like the idea of you know you just know about the local area and then the GM will fill stuff in as you explore. But I want to know. You know, who who is my character and how do they fit into the world? What, uh, what what nationalities are there that I can be? Uh, what yeah, religions what, are what there? What might I care about? 
Yes. What what are, what, what yeah. exists in this world about which I might have strong opinions? Um, and this, hmm. and it's not quite, but it's getting towards. And e- e- even if we're going down a dungeon, the the, the role playing bit that I like is is mm. that sort of thing. No, no, one hundred percent agree. I mean, it's one of the things, um, especially if I'm doing something that is not standard. So, for example, the last thing I did was um, uh, the 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 the, the I did a reason out of world building for was Victorian Shadowrun. Um, most of my fr- of the guys who played it, one guy didn't really know about, didn't know the Shadowrun. But basically, as soon as I said, "There's magic and there's technology together," um, and then I but basically I turned around and said, "But it's all happening in the Victorian time, so basically it's not um, tech; it's steam tech um, and bits and pieces." Yeah. So we you know we, we could talk about. That and basically at that point they understood the con- the base concept of what we were talking about and so on and so forth. Easy. Don't need to actually. I might need to do a thing of. Oh, these are the kind of things that you that your character would be aware of, not be aware of um, back in those times. Um, you know, you've just about got the telegraph going and bits and pieces, but um, they haven't got. Um, for reasons, um, there's no oil on the world. Everything, all the oil deposits get get turned into coal and get mm. lifted up to the point where it's um, extractable. Um, <laughs> there's there's quite a, again there is magic, but there is some very specific magic that is pushing pushing the world in sure. in, in, in that particular direction. Not necessarily, in, in, which is not necessarily a good thing, um, but. Um, um, and you've basically got um, um, some magical metals and stuff that start actually doing things like, um, I mean, one of the things, I don't know whether you guys use um, Stack Exchange at all, but um, uh, vaguely. So, 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 so I little, use it an awful lot bit. for my work because yeah, obviously, that's why yeah, I've come across it. yeah, but um, the role playing or the world building um Stack exchange stuff is absolutely brilliant, and also the stack. To be fair, with the role, with the world building one, that's the one that I actually have the most um, um, points on. <clears throat> so I should have lots of points, obviously, as a um, on, 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 on the computer side and bits of pieces. Now I've got all, almost all of my stuff is basically uh, um, all to do with world building and stuff. But um, you know, I've, I've, so I've asked the question, you know, um, because I, you know, my remember as a Young's modulus is is, is is cruddy. What's the maximum density you can get for clockwork? Energy density and so on and bits and pieces. So mm-hmm. we had so I've actually that that if you go on there, that's one of the Congratulations, you you're you're ahead of a certain famous author who who replaced petrol with uh, springs in, in a multi award winning yes. book, which yes. I didn't entirely love. Surely not. <laughs> it's all right. Um, but um, but yeah, um, and but but asking that question, and then basically the other one was: um, is there a low tech way to depressurize? Because I've got um, Captain Nemo wandering around, and he has an undersea city, uh, temp- Temple Mare or something. Like that? I can't remember. I, I should know this. It's what it's it's what it was was one of the places that they actually were were playing, um, and the undersea city is about. Two or three hundred um, meters under the under the sea. Um, so obviously, um, the people who live there on a day to day basis, when they come up, 
um, need to depressurize. Or, which is what basically, um, the f- f- wonderful, wonderful people from Stack Exchange turned around and said, no, 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 no. They wear pressure suits. So up on the top, up on the top, everybody's wearing pressure suits, which basically is powered armor. You know, yes, it might be, uh, there might be big steam stacks coming out of the, out of the species, but everybody wears it. And then they have their own, um, uh, that if, if, in you know, like in a port city, there'll be an area where you actually have pressurized buildings that basically can handle, um, mm. you, you know, the, the, the atmosphere, uh, and bits of pieces. Yeah, because getting a higher pressure is relatively easy. I mean, you, you yeah, yeah. steam cylinders or whatever, it, it's lowering yes, exactly. pressure that's quite um, hard. And, um, you know, so, so, so you, you then, which was brilliant because I could then do, and, and when we were playing the game, um, the, the, they went down and basically, um, um, they took their time coming up because basically what, uh, Captain Nemo has is for guests. He has a, obviously you can go straight down. When you come up, basically he has three different um, places that you go to, um, and in the second one they um, almost got killed. But that's a whole different story. Uh, when the bad bad, bad guys um, basically start, decided to flood it, um, but uh, um, so you've got all of you've got all of that. So suddenly all of that became kind of part of the thing, just because of the the physics. Um, but also, when they were wandering around some of the port cities and stuff, um, one of the things that uh, they had was um, this six-year-old kid wearing one of these pressure suits, basically running from his parents, running through a market stall, um, because basically he's wearing basically powered, powered, powered armor. Mm-hmm. He's having a great time. His parents are having a bloody nightmare, and it's like, okay, what do you want to do? Um, this kid is going to trash the market unless something happens, you know. As it was, the magic user basically yeah. turned around and said, "Levitate." It's always a classic. Yeah, levitate. Yeah, <laughs> kids basically little legs are going. Yeah. Ah, uh, the reverse yes. way to <laughs> Party barbarian about to do something silly. <laughs> levitate. levitate. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> okay. Stop. Yeah. You can stop now. Think about what you're doing. If I was yes, building I know it's a magic city, user. <laughs> if I was building the underwater city, I would have three levels, which were the breakfast bar, the lunch restaurant, and the dinner restaurant. And what happens is, you're only allowed to leave the city in the morning. <laughs> so, yeah, okay, you stop it right now. Is the time everyone stops? You all have breakfast at the breakfast bar, which I own. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, for everyone's, it's for public safety, you understand. Mm. Um, I like that. That's good. Yeah. That's a nice example of the way there's a, a small detail. But it, but it suddenly became because it was it was just me going. I can just say, oh, it's just magic, but I can't think of you know. Mm. I mean, these days, you know, how do we depressurize? Well, actually, we basically um, flood people with. Um, Helium until basically the helium's in their in their blood, and then we let that come out, and basically that comes out an awful lot quicker than um, um, than any, anything than nitrogen and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, you also need to re- reduce the oxygen percentage yeah, yeah, yeah. and all sorts of other fun things. 
not not that I spent too much time on this or anything. Well, no, yeah. but, but but again, you know, I mean, um, I mean, part of my thing is because I used to do a lot of competitive swimming and stuff. I mean, I know a couple of guys who then went into professional diving, um, and they mm-hmm. were diving in the North Sea. And, and one of my friends, Gareth, um, he was actually what they used to do um, was they'd go down, they'd, they actually had somewhere where they stayed down there for three or four days. Um, mm-hmm. and just because they were diving around the rigs and stuff and making sure everything was okay. Yeah. Um, and then they would literally, um, go up, go straight into the uh, hyperbaric chamber because, um, and then basically, you know, that was basically their next two or three days. You know, they were, I think four or five days down there. Two, three days decompress. It might have been less than that, but, but, but and then basically they had about four or five days off, and then the cycle repeated, sort of thing. But uh, mm. yeah. So, okay, the things I'd like to worlds I'd like to build. The first one that came to mind because I've just okay. been working on it um, is a clearly World mm. War One thing. Uh, what I've been working on is the Cthulhu Eternal World book yeah, for World War One. But, you know, you can say, okay, First World War plus the mythos. But there is a big gap between that and, okay, here is what you're investigating today. This is, this is what and uh, a friend of mine uh, refers to as the yes, but what do you actually do? Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big believer in the, if not the world, the specific campaign, be able to say, yeah, you are X who do Y. Um, but I'm thinking of organizations, factions, attitudes. And then this turned into, well, you've got all those golden dawn fragments, you know, four or five or six of them. Uh, in Germany, you've got the Gemartenorden, which turns into the Thule Society which eventually becomes, sort of becomes the Ananerba, or uh, is heavily recruited mm-hmm. from by the Ananerba. And then this turned into, okay, so what I actually need is a source book of early 20th century occultism. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> and presumably you've got, you know, related things in, you know, the, you've got the French, you know, the Belgian, the Dutch, the Polish, you know, all, all kinds of places from which, um, you know, people might be pulling troops or where some of the people involved might have come mm. from a generation ago and so on. I know a lot less about the stuff that didn't happen in English mm. or at least Latin, yeah. but yeah. Uh, but, you know, that's all stuff that you could potentially be uh, wanting to know. So that, that I, I, I like the idea of a campaign frame that will say okay you, you are maybe you're not professional monster hunters at least at first but here is a thing that's going to throw you into conflict with the mythos repeatedly rather than what well, arguably the true horror campaign is you meet it once and you yes. run away and you never think about it again so or you you're um, in the me- mental asylum uh by the way t- um white star yeah. um i am very much on holiday at the moment you see so uh, i'm allowed to be drinking again <sighs> Oh, um, oh, so some, I have never got around to doing anything with World War One, but one concept I did have was obviously you're breaking in all these people from all over the place. Um, 
uh, whether they want to or not, you're conscripting everybody to the trenches. Some of those people who end up in the trenches are probably going to be, say, the equivalent of the Pals Brigade of Innsmouth. Um, <laughs> or, you know, the sort of people who are going, right, the rumour is we're going over the top tomorrow, and I know for a fact that there's several nests of machine guns pretty much directly across from me. Now, I've got this Bayaki whistle. <laughs> um, <laughs> and potentially the thing there is, you know, uh, well, first of all, if you've got someone in your if you've got someone in your regiment who is using mythos powers to help you all survive, um, that's going to influence you. But also, what if you're the people a couple a couple of steps down the trench who are going, you know, casualty rates in that uh, that regiment are really <laughs> low, and yeah. none of them <laughs> seem to want to talk about anything to no, anyone else. No, and uh, but but. Uh, and, and for some reason, they're on the books as amphibious <laughs> yeah, troops. And, uh, it's really weird, but just by a massive coincidence, when we stormed that trench on the other side, we found a load of Germans with no heads. No. Um, <laughs> and no blood. You know, all this kind of thing. So that's something I would like to play with at some point. Feel free to steal. Mm. I probably won't get around to it. Yeah, I mean, think, thinking of uh, authors, well, Ruthanna Emrys particularly comes to mind. Uh, she's got so- several books out which are basically the aftermath of the Innsmouth raid from the point of view of the surviving mm. Innsmouth people, who, as far as they were concerned, were were trying to worship in their own way, and then then the Fed came mm. in and smashed them up. Um, what, what one of the protagonist's friends is is an interned Japanese woman mm. who similarly. Yeah. Ooh, they look a bit um, suspicious. Mm. They're put in prison. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I, I think particularly these days, and given obviously Lovecraft's attitudes and what one can pick up about them, I think the idea that you know, there are, at the very least, there are people who've learned to live with this. And they are probably the loudest voices saying, no, don't do that. That's bloody dangerous. <laughs> this was a thing I, I put into the introduction to the World War Two uh, for the Eternal. Um... You you may well get the the sides moving around. So you know you've got your allied heroic mythos fighting team and a Nazi mythos fighting team who may not be quite as heroic, but they are similarly yeah. trying to stay alive. And on both sides, you may get may get high command saying, "Can you do a bit less of the fighting and a yeah. bit more of the exploiting?" Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you get the sort of Cold War thing of. You know, in what sense are you closer to the person you are supposedly trying to shoot than to the person who is telling you to shoot them? Well, it's like it's like Tolkien talking yeah, about you know, uh, the, you know the Lord of the Rings and stuff, and he, him turning around and, and them saying, "Well, you know, was this based on on the war?" And he turned around and said, "No, no, no, no. If it was based on the war, they'd have been using the ring because we were that desperate." Yeah, yeah, we didn't. They'd have known. Everything yeah. bad that was happening, they'd still have used the ring. Yeah, that does remind me of a thing I've never done much with, but um, the GURPS Infinite Worlds, uh, it, it's a sort mm. of cross-time mm. Cold War thing. You've got Infinity and Centrum, they're, they're each going to alternate worlds, changing timelines, mm-hmm. fighting mm-hmm. against each other. And it, it, I, I have run that before, 
but if I if I did a campaign now, I think my primary thing would be you've got a whole lot more in common with the centre and frontline agents than you do with your own higher ups who've never been out in the field mm-hmm. and don't know how it really works. Um, something along those lines. Um, actually, um, KJ Charles Spectredial. Um, is so know. one of the characters in that is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a setting which has the, you know, there's a whole bunch of very old occult things going on which certain people know about and one of the protagonists is the last surviving scion of an old English family that had responsibility for guarding a bunch of things. And, um, he's the one who came back from the war when they were ordered to repeatedly go out and do occult things. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it did not go well for the others. Hmm. Uh, but it doesn't matter how many times you tell hmm. High Command to stop trying to make you summon things. Hmm. Um, and, you know, the whole kind of, well, for England, they say we're going to summon a thing, we're going to summon a thing. Hmm. Um, and if you don't agree, you will find yourself shot for cowardice yeah, and or desertion. Yeah. Um, and they and that also, you know, it does talk about the, the thing of, well, you know, we're supposedly in opposition to these German groups who also know what they're being told to do is bloody dangerous mm. for the entire world, but at the same time, you do have these responsibilities and feelings of responsibility and there's only so much you can push back and all this stuff. So yeah, and you It's all... not the focus of it, but mm. it comes out in... Mm. It's interesting. Yeah. Worth a look. Yeah, one I, I would like to try, but it, it, I've tried putting it together and it's fairly hard work. I might give it another go at some point. Um, Barbara Tuchman wrote a book called A Distant Mirror, uh, which is basically about the 14th century. And it's somewhat revisionist history. So certainly if you were brought up as I was with, with traditional English history teaching, there's a lot of, these guys are real assholes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, some of that, of course, is because, you know, at 13, you could be leading a battlefield. Yeah. Um, and, you know, say what you like about 13-year-old kids, they're not good at taking the long view. Um, so using that as the setting for a dungeon bashing campaign. Mm. So, you know, you've, you've got your child kings and, and um, the incredibly dangerous, you know, maybe court is just going to be randomly set on fire. I think I'll go down that nice safe dungeon mm. instead. Mm. It's a good way to stay out of it. And presumably these child kings are all, you know, wielding the regalia of kingship, which are phenomenally dangerous. And it's like, oh, you, mm-hmm. I, this person's out of favour today because they wore the wrong colour of shirts. Disintegrate. Uh, you know, probably not quite like that, but yeah, Toad, toad is quite likely, isn't it? Um, <laughs> Sprinkle with mad mm-hmm. nuns to taste. Because you've got plenty of them as well. Yeah. I've got a thing which I... I sort of started writing up but haven't finished fleshing out uh, and should really finish for the blog at least. Um, which is basically, you know, it's a, it's a, okay, how does all this magic and treasure stuff work? Why is there always dungeons filled with treasure? Um, and it was essentially that um, treasure and magic are different states of the same substance. Uh, in the sense of, you know, water and, uh, you know, uh, gases and solids. Same principle. Magic coalesces yeah. into treasure uh, in, in, in a dark, undisturbed places and 
creatures that are, you know, thormivores get drawn towards it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and that's where you get all your <laughs> dragons and your, you know, well, there's always monsters and a weird range, assortment of monsters in a dungeon. And then people want treasure because, you know, you take it back and then wizards want it and they use it to power magical things. And then it's used in magic and released and eventually it will coalesce back into magic. <laughs> um, I mean, to a certain extent, that's actually quite similar to a lot of the lit RPG stuff where mm-hmm. um, basically dungeons are either sentient or semi-sentient. Mm. Um, and they uh, produce golden bits of pieces to get people to go into them and as they fight and basically cast spells and bits of pieces the dungeon siphons off a tiny fraction <laughs> and basically powers them to think. If they happen to die in the dungeon on the other hand that's absolutely fantastic. The dungeon gets all of that um, of, of that potential and bits of pieces. So <laughs> The dungeon isn't trying to kill people because obviously it understands that it wants people to come in and come out. But were they to die down there, that would be quite advantageous. And, it, you know, it, it, and it works, you know, but, but, but so it's, it's, it's kind of the, oh, high reward, but high chance of death or lowish reward, but you're going to get your, your survive. And, 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 and it's the difference in the, you know, the, in the dungeon sort of, um, you know, mindsets almost, um, which is quite quite ni- quite quite nice. You get something. Have you have you played the board game Vast? Uh, it's, a, it's a multiplayer asymmetric game. So you, you know you've got the the hero going into into the dungeon. You've got the tribe of goblins. You've got the dragons on, and one of the player roles is the dungeon, uh-huh. the caves. Hmm. And what it wants to do is is uh, collapse on everybody else. <laughs> nice, <laughs> excellent. Uh, so, what are the other questions I've kind of got? Um, when you're sort of doing doing your world building, do you build it around? So, I mean, a lot of what we've been talking about here is Cthulhu. Um, so, we kind of are. We know the, the even if we're sort. Of, Going down, you know, the variant, the different variants of um, Cthulhu, and, and you know, uh, 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 you know, you know, obviously got standard cock, and then you've got um, Acton Cthulhu, and you know, the, the, you know, and the, and the different flavors. Obviously, we all, we kind of all know the sort of stat. You know, everything is generally either going to be, um, de- you know, centile. There might be the odd D twenty, but. Um, even that, quite a lot of the time, quietly goes back to to uh, percentile. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, but, do you find that if you're, say, for example, I'd know. I mean, the, the the two things I've I've basically been fiddling around with quite a lot recently have been Genesis and um, uh, GURPS. I think in quite a different way. If I'm going to be world building for a Genesis game, to if I'm or, or a um, anything kind of one of the lighter uh, bits and pieces um, to, to if I'm GURPS where it's kind of the the detail level is a lot higher if you would 
Yeah, I mean, some of that is simply the size of the scale. In Genesis, most most things go from one to five. So, yeah, I've obviously done a lot of stuff for GURPS, and on the one hand, particularly GURPS third ed, though, though fourth to some extent, does have this. Yeah, you you can start up the spaceship, the city. Whatever else, there is a standard way of writing this thing up, this thing up, and I think to some extent that can be a trap. Apart from anything else, because if to the players what matters is this is our spaceship, it's where we live. It doesn't really matter that you're using antimatter plasma rockets. Yes. <laughs> Whereas Genesis abstracts an awful lot of that away, which is not necessarily a bad thing unless you're into a very detail specific game but but it could all but, but it, it depends on the start of the game i mean one of the things that i did uh when we were playing our um uh, victorian shadowrun i moved it out of the shadowrun um actual rule setting um so i used the shadowrun background uh, background um but i used genesis as the um as hmm. the actual game which which was fine because to be honest they're both kind of fast and furious, if you would. Uh, I mean, Shadowrun's more dice pool and uh, bits of pieces. Um, Genesis is mad dice time. Um, and but but the speed of the actual game itself is quite is relatively quick. Um, I mean, GURPS, to be honest, would also work quite well um, purely and simply because. GURPS is, everyone complains about the speed of GURPS, but that's just the speed of character generation. The actual gameplay, I think, is is the, I still think yeah. the gameplay for GURPS is the easiest and fastest um, that you can pretty much get. Oh, so, certainly when I've run demo games, my my, I, I'm giving people pre-gen yes. characters, which is critical, but the introduction of the rules is, okay, I'm going to ask you for a skill roll, you roll 3d6, tell me how much lower or higher yes. than this number you get. Uh, that's pretty much it. I mean, yeah, if, if a fight starts, yeah. there are a few more options, but I don't run very mm. fight-heavy games. You know, I mean, and I must admit, I use the... Right, okay, if you just go underneath, or, you know... So, so, so for example, with Genesis, okay, right, you've done one success. Okay, that's... You've succeeded. You've done five successes. Wow! Have you succeeded? You've succeeded with advantage, brilliant, is this sitting with disadvantage? Okay, it's all worked, but yeah, a lot of times ga- games do that, and they and I find I'm being put, forced to step outside my character into a sort of more authorial position, and, and I find that quite hard work. For some reason, Genesis yeah, doesn't it's, do it's, that for me. I think may, maybe because it's got those examples, you know, right, right there in the in the standard table. Of, you know, this is a two disadvantage sort of thing, and if you can't think of anything, yes, you just exactly. say, "Okay, let's do I one think of that, those." That helps. So. Uh, I mean, we we had a fantastic one um, the other week. Um, basically, um, we're 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 infiltrating, and not my character. I hasten to add, but my character, but my mate's character, um, who was actually being played by somebody else. But it was quite funny when Mike came back the week later. He turned around and said, "Yeah, Mike, I'd have done that." Um, um, basically, <laughs> so we're infiltrating. Uh, we're, 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 um, so it's it's basically that it's kind of a Mass Effect um, 
uh, setting. So uh, we're infiltrating some um, uh, Cerberus's uh, Cerberus uh, spaceship. Um, spaceship commander basically has grabbed us because he thinks we're techs. Um, we've fixed his uh, communication relay and bits and pieces, and um, he's now talk- talking to um, his security team. Um, and we're thinking, okay, we really don't want to do this. We okay, this is sounding more and more like you know he was putting loads of roadblocks in in the way for us. So uh, <clears throat> Mike's character mm. turned around and said, right, okay, um, okay, I shoot him. And um, GM turns around and says, yeah, it's fine. Um, from the distance you are, just one die, just one dice. Just turning into a red, um, because, you know, thing. And, um, a despair came up. So he's on the com, he's on the com, we shoot him, and then my character switches the com off. So basically, the security, the security group <laughs> have just heard us shoot. So they, they don't know exactly what's gone on, but they've heard gunfire and they no longer can talk to their commander. Um, so it kind of went downhill from there, but it, but it was brilliant because it was that <laughs> wonderful thing of, you know, right, okay, you've rolled a despair, okay, and I just turned around and said, I've got a fantastic one for that, okay, we shoot him, then I switch the cob off, <laughs> you know, we yeah. just went, nice yeah, and simple, perfect, but yeah. but but it, but it but it yeah. really is, and it, and, and and to a certain extent. One thing I find with Genesis, and I know John's probably quite a good good example of somebody who is a brilliant role player but really doesn't like it. He finds that exactly what you were saying there, Roger. Um, I think he finds it it's too constraining. It's too hang on a minute. I don't want to think about what the advantage might be. I don't want to think about what the disadvantage might might be. I just I just want yeah, and and I I ran uh, the same Genesis Firefly adventure I, I ran for you guys. Uh, and extended it a bit more, but did about 12 episodes of a Genesis Firefly campaign, uh, which I was having a great time with. Um, the players, not yeah. so much, alas. Uh, they, they, I mean, even by the end of that, they were really not getting on with the system. I do want to try it at some point and see so... which side of the uh, Watson divide I fall. Mm. Uh, I, mm. I would certainly love to try it again I mean, sometime. I'm more than happy to... I mean, you know, I have... Most of my ideas at the moment are either GURPS or Genesis. I mean, I I still think GURPS. My my natural my natural mindset is for anything (laughs) that I'm thinking of, I think of it in GURPS because if I can think of it in GURPS, I can translate it into anything else. Yeah, it's not. That's not quite. I mean, my my default for a very long time was okay. I will run this in GURPS. Obviously, I'm not quite as dedicated to that now, but it's still it's still there. I'm just thinking that there are two settings I've, I've written more or less from scratch, but with obvious influences, that were in, in part inspired by GURPS game mechanics. Uh, I did a... I've forgotten the name of it now. Uh, some time ago, when, when GURPS 4th Ed was very newly out, uh, I was using the GURPS 3rd Ed spaceships rules, and basically I, I just designed a whole bunch of spaceships. And from that I got, well, okay... You can, if you if you have the ability to land only with a prepared port and a runway and so on, 
you can freight stuff a lot more cheaply because you're not carrying the contragravity yeah. and other other things. Therefore, that's where the big lines go, and the small PC ship is going to be going to the places that don't have that kind mm. of port. Almost Firefly. And that, that then built out the setting. Pre-Firefly? Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Um... So that was that. And more recently, and this, this counts not as a world I haven't built, but as a world I'd really like to revisit, uh, Wives and Sweethearts, which is basically the Royal mm. Navy in space. Uh, for that, I built, a again, a bunch of spacecraft to say, okay, you know, the, the spacecraft from the last war had this yeah. tech basis. And then towards the end of the war, they came up with this tech basis, and, and everything is now based some combination of that. You know, the, 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 the modern civilian ships are like the old old wartime spacecraft because they're a lot cheaper to run and so on and that that was great fun I'd like to do more with it are, are there things you don't like to put in worlds mm. and there, there, there are some I've definitely picked up in the last years I, I don't like putting in conspiracy theory stuff anymore because it has become so much there are people out there who believe this mm. in huge numbers and, it's, and hmm. for me, that's not fun. Uh, exorcism, similarly, since I learned about how much it's used as a tool of abuse in the real world. I, I mean, I'm not saying I won't do spirit possession and somebody whose job is to get rid of them, but it, it's not going to look a lot like hmm. exorcism as the classic thing has yeah, it. Yeah, I think things that seem too much like real world thing. I mean, partly because, yes, you want, a, you, you want that verisimilitude in things, but... In the same way that I much prefer weird horror to things that are, you know, to thrillers or murder mysteries or anything like that, mm. um, I much prefer my my stuff to be the stuff that bothers me tends to be real life. realistic. Yes. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so yeah. you know, I tend to steer away from. In particular, sort of situations that people can't realistically do very much about. Um, and obviously, premises are sometimes something you can't do something about. But in those, you know, in that case, I want I don't want the premise to be something. Uh, you know, I don't want the premise to be uh, you know a. I don't think it's something. For example, nihilistic, I think is, it, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want it to be. You can't do anything here. So, which actually, funnily enough, is almost always the time, or always, always the thing with Call of Cthulhu. Because if you actually read sort of the Lovecraftian stuff, we're going to lose. You know, the you know the elder gods have been you know are being awoken. At some, you know, and at some point, humanity is doomed. Yeah, though that's, I mean, the desperate struggle thing can, can work for me. You know, yes, we several of us died and some more of us went mad, but we have pushed the end of the world five years away. That is five years that these people would otherwise yeah. not have had. Yeah, I think that's it. And you know, obviously, if you, I think partly if because if you take a long enough view, um, you know, the heat death of universe. Hmm. So, um, you know, it, it, there is a sort of a matter of that perspective on things, um, you know, and so f 
Uh, have either of you played Dark yeah, Conspiracy? No. Not for not for years, but yes. Also, also enjoyed the yeah, um, um, that the books that were was it Michael Stackpole wrote were very yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, they're mm. not much to do with the actual uh, no. setting as played, but quite fun even so. Yeah, and the, the thing about that is it, it it's a near future dystopian setting because mm. it was the early nineties. Um, but it's much more okay. There, there are weird but basically comprehensible forces behind it all, and you you have investigated this thing, you have shut down this whatever that is doing actual good things, and and there are enough of you about that you have some hope of maybe yes. eventually winning. That that wasn't a thing the game dealt with as such, but it was a possible possibility. Yeah, you yeah. are able to push away the kind of um, the other planes and bits and pieces to at least stop them from basically interfering quite as much, you know, and stick, you know, and, and, and sticking bits and pieces. I mean, uh, that I must admit, um, I think, can't remember whether it was, it might have been in one of the books or it might have been in one of the scenarios where you, um, you have the lovely thing of, um, the um, the Japanese emperor's son, who is this twenty something guy who you know he's hip, he's you know teched up and bits and pieces, and he's still a god. And mm. if they spill his blood, um, they can use his blood to do some major, major voodoo stuff, mojo stuff, because at the end of the day. Whether he's aware of it or not, or whether he believes in it or not, he is an actual god. And th- there was a really nice bit where it doesn't matter whether you know what he believes, the ability to use him, um, and you know, yeah, the ritual still works. Yeah, the, the ritual, ritual doesn't still, care what you the think. ritual doesn't care what he thinks. You know, the ritual will still basically, you know, you know, and strangely, mm-hmm. sacrificing a god can power quite a lot of quite powerful things yeah, yeah. and post I've actually met a god now <laughs> as I think of it um Don are not a wonderful man uh-huh. now alas dead um he, he was for example that the um the guy that both sides of the Sizewell inquiry wanted on their side because they knew he would be absolutely honest um but in in his medical days he basically cured a major plague in an African village. And I can't remember where, where about where it was, I'm afraid. Um, but they, they did the standard thing. You know, we, we want to honour somebody. We, we declare them a god. We, we make a... We carve, carve a wooden sculpture of them. And for as long as that sculpture lasts, they are a god. For him, they use Ligdom Vitae. It's probably still there. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be around for a while. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I'm just thinking because, you know, obviously at the moment I'm running this sort of V, you know, I'm running something which is sort of approximates Delta Green. Yeah. But part of the Mm. reason I, only part, but part of the reason it isn't an actual Delta Green thing is because Delta Green seems to have that, partially that, that sort of nihilism but also that presumption of a, a sort of brutal authoritarian um, 
organization yeah, behind you, it. Yeah, mm. you're, 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 and, and it's okay because we've yeah, we got to do nasty yeah, things your bosses to fight the nasty. Are only just a little bit less nasty than the things they're fighting. Yeah. Um, and that is something that, you know, you, you might be able to go and stop the cult from doing the whatever or prevent the summoning of Great Thulu, but the people you work for are still emblematic of uh, governments and forces which fundamentally care very little about humans and are willing to do incredibly brutal and awful things for what they perceive as the greater good. And that's part of the sort of thing yeah, that and, I don't and, like. And and if your answer to the problem was, okay, let's nerve gas mm. this small town, they're going to say, yeah, nerve gas is getting expensive. Could you try to use yeah, a bit less? That, it's, it's that sort of thing. Um, and similarly, you know, it's got that, it's got those extra mechanics like um, bonds and things representing your connections to other people. And at least in the plays of it that I've heard, that can very easily turn into, you know, you have this spiral, which is not only your sanity mechanic, you know, the death spiral thing, yeah. but also in your attempts to stave that off, um, your connections to other people around you fray and your life hmm. degenerates into that. And it, it just all seems extremely depressing. Yeah, that that's come over into uh, Cthulhu mm. Eternal as well. And obviously one doesn't have I mean, to use it, but it's there as the default. But one of the things, for example, is that the rules on uh, getting any sort of mm. psychiatric help one of the standard consequences of that is gonna, you're going to lose stuff off one of your other bonds because you're spending time with your therapist rather than yeah. your mates. Which, I mean, at least in my experience, is not how it works. No. Uh, no. <laughs> your your mm. mental health improves and also your ability to relate to other people improves. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, your mates yeah. actually yeah. like seeing you now. Um, and, and, yeah, so th- there's that, that sort of stuff. And so, I mean, you, you've played my scenarios. They tend to be a Fun. bit more upbeat. Yeah. Uh, it's like, hey, here is a problem, and you can solve mm. it. And there may not even be any additional deaths than the ones that start happened before you started. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. and that's that's also kind of a deliberate choice because so many scenarios are. I, I I sort of view it as a slight challenge to have things which are not okay. A person has been murdered, um, because so many things are okay. A person has been murdered, or people are being murdered, or. Whatever. And, and, I, I and like from, to play against for a that. modern day game, I think that mm. works really. I, I think it, it's it's less. Im- it's a horrible thing to say, but it's less important if you go back in history, or especially if you go fantasy, um, because historically we hold um, death at a far higher level of oh shit than we ever have done. Mm. Um, yeah, and also because of the way things like recording of stuff and media and so on, um, you know, there's also that element. Yeah, you know, if you go back 300 years and there's a death in a small village, it might well be a fairly trivial affair as far as most people are concerned. Hmm. Hmm. Well, look, look, look at the. Yeah, pe- people have responded to historical levels of mortality. You, you, you're in the 1300s. Um, you may not even bother to have your child baptised mm. for a few years because, mm. you know, why bother? Yeah, exactly, this sort of thing. Which is the... That's still the thing with the Chinese naming, isn't it? Because you don't name for the first X number... I can't remember how, how many days. 
Possibly after the baby. Yeah. Uh, so my um, yeah. one of my one of my nephews um, um, he's married a, a Chinese lady, and um, basically um, they were very careful that like, I want to say it's thirty days, but it, it might be, it, but it might well be less than that. But um, they didn't actually give um, Saren's name um, until um, after that because it's. Deemed unlucky in bits and pieces, and it's deemed, mm. you know. But, but it's again, again, it's the if you've got a really good chance of your kid dying quite soon after childbirth, you don't really want to name it. And mm. but I mean, you know, you know, I'm sure, but quite a lot of that has happened in mine and Roger's lifetime because I mean, I remember from back in the 70s. Um, people dying of measles. You know, and you, you know, mm. there was a measles outbreak and it was generally, they had something else wrong with them. Um, but I mean, I remember that, um, little girl I used to play with, um, uh, down by my grandparents, um, um, who unfortunately, bless her, she had leukemia. Uh, one of the measles outbreak came, came along and, um, that was it. Yeah. She, she went, and it was horrid in bits yeah. and pieces, but that was kind of the norm. You know, you had things that, you know, diseases would go round and bits and pieces, and you knew if you were unlucky, you'd be losing friends. These days, God, I mean, you know, we we, we you know we have MMR, we have um, bits and pieces. You know, I mean, when when the boy, you know, I mean, my two now are in their twenties, but the, the vaccinations that they had, the, the care that they had and stuff meant that unless there was something wrong with them that was seriously, seriously wrong with them, they were going to make, you know, they, 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 they were, they had a reasonably good chance of, you know, getting to where they are. Mm. Yeah. Go and go back another generation. You've got widespread malnutrition. Yeah. Yeah. And the, Second World War rationing did a yes. huge positive thing for the health of the poor because it, you know, that they hadn't previously been told or able to get what was a good diet, and it was and what diet. they were now getting was yes. a good standard by the diet by well, the standards it, of the day. It, yeah. If you actually look at the um, at the average life expectancy, it it goes up during rationing, but it doesn't go down. Um, for exactly yeah. that reason, because you're not losing kids at about five or six, because they're basically dying of rickets or, you know, and the scurvy or... Suddenly, post, post-war Japan, people mm, are suddenly yes. getting taller. Yeah. Because there's a lot more yes, widespread mm-hmm. nutrition. Not only white rice. Yeah. 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 Mm. Uh, here's, here's another one that I want to build out a bit. I, I built this mm. for a single adventure. But I've, I've got some notes. Uh, the Victorian atoms, which I invented for marmosets on an airship. Basically, by the 1860s, we have nuclear power reactors. Okay. Uh, the obvious thing to do with this, of course, is put it in, put to yep. drive a battleship. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. And I've, I've, I've been chat, chatting with people a bit. We've got some notes on naval tactics, and it means, for example, it, uh, obviously, not not every ship of the Royal Navy is an atomic battleship. 
but the big ones are, and that means you have less pressure on a, or to get fueling bases all over the world because you could just stick the thing there and it and it can run and for twenty years. Circumnavigates and circumnavigates and circumnavigates. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're still going to want to take on food and stuff, but one of the pressures is off. So that so then you, you know, the whole the classic network of British naval bases all over the world yeah. is a different shape. Yeah, that's no longer necessary, and it might even be easier to not bother having a base and instead just call in at ports to pick up food. Um, yeah, because it's it's less important that you are in control. Yes, compared to if you're having to stop suitable for your vessels. Yeah. Yeah. Go another few years and torpedoes need to get a lot better a lot faster because your classic torpedo attack is here's this battleship steaming along, it's gonna take five minutes to get up to combat speed, mm-hmm. you do a surprise attack. Well now it's gonna take ten seconds mm-hmm. to get up to combat speed. And then okay, so then you think about when you have people sitting down, possibly drinking quite a lot, and thinking about this technology, what weird and wonderful stuff are they, or very obvious stuff are they going to come up with? Um, you know, so obviously you've got the capacity to do much faster rescue stuff. Um, you know, if you mm. can get get a boat going quickly and headed off to somewhere that's going to be hit by a storm or this kind of thing. Or you can intervene um, in a yeah. fight a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, can you reroute some of the power from that lovely atomic uh, generator you've got going and, you know, suddenly, oh, you turn up at the hurricane struck whatever and, you know, now you are providing enough power to keep people warm and purify water and... Which, to be fair, is what the... American Navy currently do. Mm. They, you know, they they will quite mm. literally. Um, I think that, uh, it might have been Haiti or one of the ones recently, mm. where they turned up with three hospital ships, and they turned up with a couple of um, nuclear powered uh, cruisers, and the nuclear powered and, and they literally ran cables from the cruisers down to the thing, mm-hmm. and they powered the country. Mm. Not the city that they were. They powered the whole bloody country. They just yeah. basically just just yeah. just up, you know, just right. Okay, we've got three nuclear three nuclear power stations. Off you go. Yeah, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, a, a lot of the Soviet submarines in in you know nineteen ninety ish were effectively became the power plants hmm. for their home ports. Yeah. So, and that that also means okay. So you've actually got, if you think on that basis. <clears throat> You've got the capacity to quite rapidly get the f- the foundations of a mobile base somewhere because you can get people, mm. supplies, and power. And with power and supplies, you can get most things. So if you want to get somewhere and very rapidly set up a port, uh, a fort, or as you say, a hospital or whatever. Um. Yeah, suddenly, suddenly, sea power becomes yeah, there was a, a lot more powerful than it already is. Mm. I mean, historically, the reason why Britain ruled the waves, you know, you know the sun never set on the UK, or, or, or the sun never set on, on the British Empire, was 
was because we just have the best the best ships as good bases. But if you if you if your ships are that much more powerful again, um, suddenly your everything becomes water based, even to a higher extent extent than it than it already did. Um, and you also, I guess, start thinking quite quickly, quite early about sort of things like, um, well, lightning guns, um, because you've got the ability to <laughs> basically produce an awful lot of electricity. Mm-hmm. Um, you're probably talking, um, reasonably quickly again you've got a lot of electricity so producing hydrogen is 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 relatively simple so um air power uh, at the very least at zeppelin level is going to be well remember that first adventure this this is a uh, boiling water reactor powering an airship making the first transatlantic crossing yeah Um, yeah, one of the things that the geopolitics that fell out of this uh, at least in the real world, there are basically three places where uranium is found in huge quantity. Those yeah. being Canada, British dependency, dependency. Australia, British dependency, and Kazakhstan. Uh, at this yeah. date, nobody really cares yes. about it except the locals. When did they find the so, deposits in Kazakhstan? I uh, don't know offhand. Early 20th century, I think. But yeah, there, there was a whole lot of, well, we don't really care about this stuff. It makes nice, yes. nice glass. Uh, until the late thirties, I mean, uh, some some of the early work was basically done on on the um, scrap piles mm. at Glassworks. Yeah. So, do you? So, what does this mean for how things develop? Because if it, I mean, it sounds like British Empire is already fairly well developed. Does that change what it does? Does it still try and colonise in the same way? I suspect it gets complacent more easily. Hmm. The the other thing is, and I will admit I put this in as a um, personal hmm. whim, uh, I saved Friedrich the Third. So instead of... Kaiser Wilhelm, who, who is the you know the, the the crippled guy in the Marshall Society, he's always feels he's got to make something up, and it's it is that's a big part of how the First World War happens. You've got somebody who's a lot more of a reformer. Bismarck really mm. hates him. <laughs> all, all this stuff mm. about democracy. Mm. So Germany's going Germany's going to go in a very different direction. So <laughs> if you then have, um, so when are these atomic ships coming in? Uh, well, the, the, the Blackwood boiler is in the 1880s. Okay, so we've... Yeah, so the shape of the Empire is very similar. Because, presumably, because we've got... It happens after most of the colonisation has happened. Yeah, also, the, the at least the early reactors are, are big and heavy, and putting them in a ship is a lot more practical than mm-hmm. putting them in mm-hmm. an airship. No, I was trying to work out if they would still... You know, have to be interested in the same places essentially, um, and presumably society as a whole is still looking at coal and so on. Or is is society? Yeah, I think it's gradually spreading. I mean, for example, for you, you're not going to put a um, atomic plant aboard a, a railway locomotive. 
because there are issues of mean-free path. Even if you coat it in lead, it's going to be irradiating stuff around it. But you can use it to boil water and then transfer live steam to directly to the uh, engine. Or, as as you were saying, Mark, you could do something with hydrogen once that technology comes along. Presume, yeah, you, know, you, you can use your big static power plants to provide portable presumably, power. Presumably, if you are, say, a dark satanic mill owner then you could decide, well, I basically own this part of Yorkshire anyway. I'm going to install a nuclear power plant. And instead of having to source supplies of coal all the time, um, I can just have this nice, clean atomic power. And, uh, hmm. you know, the uh, you know the, the buildings are a lot less soot-blackened. Mm. And uh, the sky is nicer to look out at from my mansion on the hills some distance away. And as a side effect, the peasants don't freeze in the winter. Um, yeah, and also, importantly, of course, because there's still that mindset of, you know, it's a, it's a communal good. I'm powering the whole town. You know, all of, all of West Yorkshire is powered. Mm. I mean, think of somebody like yeah. Salt. Mm. Um, you know, you have, yes, uh, you know, West Yorkshire is now entirely atomic. Everyone is in favour of this. You know, there's pl- there's ample power for everyone. The I fact that yes, breathe. everyone is now even more dependent on Titus Salt um, because even if mm-hmm. you don't live in a company house, he still gives you your power. Uh, is entirely coincidental. You, you you are now entering Saltaire. Please 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 queue for alcohol search. Pretty much, mm. like I I could imagine, you know, that sort of thing would be sufficient to extend someone's influence across a massive area. Um, mm. Yeah. So that's a, you know, that's a possibility. I mean, especially if you're talking you've got um, power but you've not got storage. Mm. So... Yeah. Uh, there are things you can do, but they're way less efficient. And as mm. with the hydrogen or live steam or whatever. Um, but, you know, uh, you know, Sol- uh, Saltasha is um you know is well lit because you've got you've got the nice electrical powered uh you know streets the nice electrical powered milk bars and coffee bars and um working men's alcohol free clubs and you're probably not even talking combustion engine because you're probably would be because um you could actually um especially if you go down tesla's route and start going for beamed power um yeah, historically one of the major reasons that never got anywhere was nobody could figure a way mm. to charge for it. But if you don't need to charge <laughs> for it, if you're basically, if you're somewhere, something like salt, and basically you're there going, well, no, I'm doing this from a philanthropic point of view. Um, yeah. Or, of course, you're beaming it to yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, you're beaming it between different... Uh, institutions that you own to save the cost of laying cables. You know, all these hills, inconvenient mm. hills. Um. And yeah, I mean, every so often a, a duck falls out of the sky mm. pre-roasted. A free but... duck. Um, okay, so <laughs> if if we're going this this route, uh, potentially, what do, the scope of it is going to make a big difference to the mining industry. Uh, which mm. is potentially 
a very good thing mm. from some people's point of view. From lots of people's point of view, but miners are going to be unhappy about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember the 1980s, mm, well. and I remember both the propaganda and what people who were actually there said, which was more, oh, God, no, I don't want to go down the pit. I just want there to be some industry mm. in this town. How, and that's what we got. Town, yeah. um, it was terrifying. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, it was actually frightening, frightening. You know, we used to have flying pickets coming in and um, um, bits and pieces. And there are still... Um, I still have um, friends who um, they don't, you know, there are bits of their family they don't talk to anymore from back in the 80s. Mm -hmm. Because it Mm -hmm. absolutely, you know, the ones who went down versus the ones. And there were a hell of a lot who went down because basically there were a hell of a lot where Scargill refused to do the secret ballot. Um, and yeah. there were a hell of a lot that turned around and said, well, no, at which point, screw it. We don't think this is an official strike. Um, yeah. and so it really polarized and, you know, I mean, like Brexit level pol- polarized. Um, 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 though obviously in a far smaller community in bits and pieces mm. and everybody took sides. You know, yeah. Yeah, I didn't have much choice if that's the yeah. the industry. Yeah. You know that, that that was it. You know, it was that or Armitage Shanks. That was they were the two industries. You know, in 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 Rugeley. And there's, there's a limit to how many yeah. people they employ. So what do we do with all our miners? Well, you're not going to transship them to Australia or Canada, so, though. So some of you probably so, will. So thinking about the. Not so much actually, funnily enough, around around here in the Midlands, but say in South Wales, um, as the mining industry went down, or or as mining industry um, thing, one of the things they that, 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 that you started having a lot more was right, get yourself educated, get the hell out of here. Um, not so much for the actual miners themselves, but their but their children. Mm. Um, I mean, the reason why my dad went to university was his dad was a miner, and he turned around and said, "There's no way, shape, or form, my son is going down the pit." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and if you've got the industrial patronage, then you're going to get. Uh, we've hist- we've got historical examples of, of uh, you know the, the 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 local boss man saying, "Here is cheap or free education for anybody yeah. who wants it." And um, so, yeah, I mean, you might well get more salt of that. like for that? For the education? I mean, I'm, 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 I hold my hands up. I don't really know that. I know, I know obviously, no salt, salt air and so on. Um, but. I, I only really found out about him because of going to YSDC <laughs> Games Days. Um, so I don't really know him per se. Whereas, say, Cadbury, I know an awful lot more. Cadbury, Cadbury was slamming people, as much money into education and actually was. Almost kidnapping children from 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 industry and stuff, and say, send them here. You don't actually need your mm. kids. You're earning a really good wage. You don't need your kids to earn as well. Your kids can earn and do and and, and improve. You know, and obviously, you know, with Cadbury, it was very much and 
you know, full of the teachings of the good Lord. But, mm-hmm. um, but it, but it, but it really was, it was real education was, was one of his big, big, big things that he pushed. I mean, yeah, I, I don't think that's quite as much the case with Salt. I mean, there was an institute in Saltaire, but I don't think it was a primary focus but that for That being him. said, if you are, let's say, uh, a dissatisfied Oxfordian or similar, and you're seeing these, you know, you're seeing Saltaire is expanding into this, you know, extremely modern, uh, you know, powered city, you know, cutting edge. Maybe there is incentive to go, you know, this is the future. Uh, let us go and build an institute. I will have a collection. You know, I will ask, I, I will hmm. speak to Titus Salt about founding a, um, you know, a, a technical institute or something, which uh, for the you know, Royal College of Engineers or something. Yeah, and particularly if you if you've got a degree, but for whatever reason you you yeah actual engineering jobs are relatively or, or you're scarce. You're a retired engineer. You, you, you know. don't you don't want to find yourself teaching in a minor public school. Mm. Yeah, because you're allergic to children or some other entirely yeah. reasonable. And of course, yeah. you, and of course, you you actually somewhere that is powered by the new atomic reactors is an obvious place for you to be training those engineers that you want to build more of them and improve them. Mm. Also, it's a, it's a model village slash town. It's all new construction. Uh, it's warm in the winter. You've got mm. hot water in, ev- yeah. in every building. Hot baths on demand. It's clean. I mean, probably still outside mm, toilets, but... Yeah. There's no, you know, there's no yeah. suds in the sky. Yeah. And that actually pollution was a thing that Salt was into. He tried. He tried doing. Uh, he tried doing <laughs> um, air scrubbing. It, it was unsuccessful, but it was a thing that he was um, trying to institute because he was concerned about pollution. Um, mm, so yeah, really maybe cool. maybe you do get you know enterprising engineers and people possibly from you know not necessarily just British going well. You know, we want to found this this institute, we want to have you know, all these very nice facilities thank you very much um, and uh, we're better to educate them than in this um, powerhouse of modern technology or yeah. maybe not in it but close enough to it Also you potentially have the um, um, <sighs> Okay, I've sorted out my workers, I've sort of my thing, right, where are my raw materials coming from? Mm. <clears throat> What's going on over there? What's happening? Okay, I've actually, suddenly I've got transportation that is safe for me to travel with. Because I'm either going on a fast ship or as you were saying, Roger, you know, you know, you, you, you by that point you might well have um, Zeppelins or um, blimps or whatever. Um, Right. Okay, let's go over to where you know to to, to the to, to where the, they're picking cotton. No, we can do it better than this. We can we can automate this. Mm. We can make these people's lives an awful lot better. They're God fearing Christians. Absolutely. Or they will yeah. be. Yeah, I think the American Civil War is basically pre-divergence. 
So that's going to yeah. come across more or less as it happened. Okay, so, yeah. But on the other hand, you know, ten years later when the big uranium yes. rush starts, yeah. a whole bunch of people who are not yeah. happy where they are. And you um, also, yes, and, and suddenly Australia, America kind of drops down from its prominence a little bit because it's coal, it's petroleum, whereas Australia is uranium. And, so, mm-hmm. and suddenly yeah. that, that's where the rush is. That's where your, your, um, mm. you know, that, that's your power industry, uh, coming from there. So basically instead of, um, it being the Americas who were, uh, or, or, or the USA that becomes the, the global powerhouse, um, you're probably talking, you probably actually are talking Australia. Um, yeah. especially if you are starting to talk your, um, uh, the manufacture, some of the manufacturing stuff is man, you make the, your, um, your piles and, and, and your, um, actual, uh, fission plants, um, in Australia because it, well, why wouldn't you? Because that's, you know, otherwise you have you may as well refine it here. You may as well stick it in. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to start with we're going to ship the refined product rather yeah. than the raw ore, and then then you go up the chain and okay, now we're going to ship you fuel rods. Now we're going yes, to ship you exactly. whatever. I tell you what else, which is okay if you've got a bunch of experimental engineers around playing with atomic things in Australia at this point, you're probably going to get people going. Well, we've got all this land, which basically there's no people here, right? There's definitely no people here and never were. Um, well, we've got nuclear power now, so why don't we irrigate it uh, with fresh water through the desalinization mm-hmm. plants we can now make? And turn, yeah. it, you know, so maybe Australia geographically starts to look very different because you, instead of having a few clusters of mm-hmm. people on the coasts, pretty much, mm. you, uh, you know, you've got energy to burn and you are pumping fresh water into it and you are terraforming it. But I'm also thinking that, particularly in Canada and Australia, they, they've both got this thing that, uh, you know, yeah, yes, we are proud to be British and, and so on, but they're going to start getting national consciousness simply because those are the places where, at the very least, a young man comes out to make his yeah. fortune in mining. Yeah. And again, if you're if you're a powerhouse and a, a focus of things in the world, you, you can say, well... I feel like my hand in this, uh, my role in this particular relationship should be a little heftier, don't you? Um, Conversely, hmm. you've also got the, um, the mistakes that were made for the American Revolution in living memory for at least some people. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not necessarily a revolution type thing. Maybe it's a, um, you know, uh, so you know, for example, it could be a reform in the way yeah. Parliament works. You know, yeah. maybe Australia. You know, the, the Australian states and the Canadian states have representatives in Parliament. Yes, which they were talking about. To be fair, mm. Mm. Um, that if if we'd have kept Emp- if we'd have kept Empire that, that, for that, much that, longer, that, that definitely would have would have actually been the case, at least for the Lords. Yeah. It, it, it does break down a bit, of course, because, I mean, as with England and Scotland now, you've got, you know, X hundred English MPs and 100 mm-hmm. Scottish or whatever the number is. Yeah. But, um, yeah. You know, or maybe you, 
you know, I, I can see it shifting in various ways, at least. Um, mm. And okay, so do, and given that America has been largely turning on itself, and Canada, uh, Canada, and Canada is suddenly up and coming. Um, you know, it's outstripping them technologically and economically as a result of that. Do we, in fact, get Canada taking over as the major player in North America? Almost undoubtedly, yes. I mean, America, for most of its time, is incredibly insular. Um, it doesn't want to take part in the main state, in the, in the main world stage. Well, they're, they're, they are still basically um, doing their great yeah. spread westward. Does that happen? No. Actually. I don't see why. Yeah, because they, they're still going to use coal. Yeah, but I'm just thinking, you know, because the sort of people who are heading west, will they start going, well, hey, Canada's well, a great well, place yeah. to make Will, they, will they go north? Yeah. Um, hmm. You know, that, presumably that will at least influence... The decisions that are getting made. So you're not going to get the gold rush. Well, you you might get the gold rushes. You certainly get the forty nine. Yeah. I mean, gold is still valuable. After all, it is conveniently conducted. Absolutely. Oh yes. (laughs) Um, But I mean, I don't know as well because obviously a lot of prospecting was related to coal and similar. So it might be that some. Discoveries are not made. Um, I, I think the uranium mining process is substantially different. I mean, there, there are obviously some mining related mm. things in common, but uh, well, there's an awful yeah. lot of it. There's an awful lot of it where basically, if you try and do it the same way that you're doing it for pretty much anything else, um, you end up with dead workers quite quickly. Yeah. But also, for example, I don't think you need to go after deep seams to anything like the same extent. Well, you mm. also need far less. Hmm. Well, yeah, but yeah, the, we, you, you've taken one of the limits off the economy. It's going to expand until you find the next limit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, how is this? How is this feeling to you now, Roger? I'm starting to think, okay, let, let, let's pick a date or at least a, a state of development. Say, so, right, well, where, where are the, where are the adventures happening? What hmm. are the adventurers doing? Okay. Military is obviously one yeah. thing. Military. Okay. You've got the, uh, various people who are trying to discover the secrets of atomic power from you. Um, yeah, I mean, who, who is that at this If you're not British, mm-hmm. you are definitely going to be looking for anything where you can get uranium where the bloody Brits haven't been. So suddenly, you know, if if you are sort of wandering around the Urals or whatever and hang on a minute. <laughs> my Geiger counters just my Geiger counters just triggered, you know. There be radiation in them there hills. <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, so okay. Kazakhstan start, yeah. mining started in forty three, but I don't know when it was discovered. Uh, yeah, well, that's the thing. Once people have realised that uranium is actually useful, they're going to start looking for it mm. a lot more intensely. Um, okay, so 
I will. I sus- so I suspect um, Bradford Leeds uh, is now essentially the Saltair, uh, the city of Saltair, pretty much. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, Salt, Salt himself mm. is dead by this point, but because um, Saltair, yeah. however it started out, is going to spread because it's got the nuclear power and it's got the institutes being built up around it. And I mean, it's it's easy for the stuff from Leeds and Bradford to expand and drift in that direction if there's uh, demand. Solterra itself maybe mm. is still the, the, the charming centre that other people are kept out of, but you're going to get a ring around it, I think. Um, so, okay, so if we've got... Um, I've forgotten his name, sorry. Uh, we haven't got Kaiser Bill. Uh, yeah, we've got Friedrich, and Friedrich is a democratic and peaceful chap. In, insofar as he's able to be yeah. in the climate, um, yeah. so and there, there, are, there are probably actual mm. Marxists being being given place in political so, discourse. I mean, why would anyone go to Russia when Germany yeah. so is sympathetic? Are, have we unified Germany? Are we partially unifying Germany? Uh, yes, yes, yes. That that that, has ha- that certainly happens on schedule. Is Italy, the unification as, ha- as, as strong as it was? Bearing in mind that the German states, quite a lot of them, have very little in common. Hmm. Oh, we we have Bismarck on time. The the actual divergence for for Wilhelm is. Um, oh, okay. Eighteen ninety. Later than I thought. So. So, but, you know, Wilhelm is still on the throne until then, which mm. historically he was. Um, but he attends Buffalo Bill's Wild West show uh, in Paris. He meets Annie Oakley and says, I bet you could shoot shoot the ashes off a cigarette in my mouth, which historically mm-hmm. he did. Ahistorically, his bodyguard is just a little bit too slow. I see. <laughs> Annie Oakley is smuggled mm-hmm. out of the country. I love it. <laughs> so have we... So in, in that case, do we in fact have... So I, I think we're talking sort of mid-1890s to Yeah, it, sound, it sounds like it. Mm. So, I mean, my impression from what I've heard is that Germany and Britain might have a much more sympathetic relationship. Also, uh, they, they are still Victoria's yeah. relatives, after um, all. Because, and, you know, given what I've heard of him, it seems he might be the sort of person who would be going, well, let's... Let us establish strong bonds with the British, and um, you know we don't want any kind of conflict over this stuff. So, uh, and of course, they're not a, an imperial rival of any kind at this point. No. Um, hmm. Whereas, you know, France and Spain are. Yeah. Also, Germany historically doesn't join the first colonisation boom. That, that's one of the reasons why you get the, the weird stuff in the early 20th century, where they're, they're saying, let, let us basically pick off the colonies that haven't been grabbed by somebody else. They're all a bit rubbish, but now we are an imperial power, we have colonies. So do they instead decide to go, hey, let's let's forget this colony stuff, um, let's modernise? Well, at, at that point, you are talking that probably the best universities in the world are German. Um, you're talking an awful lot of um, the science is going forward is uh, happening in um, in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and it's really it's it's as then that, that they start switching out to well no we need to expand we need to do bits and pieces but at the time they were going really highbrow really yeah. quickly yeah so I, th- I think that one's that's that's kind of a call for you Roger based on what you think about the people but I could see it developing in a much more forget this expansionism let's modernize sort of direction yeah it, it's tricky because there are going I mean there are going to be people who want, who will make a lot of money power etc off the colonial thing but yeah if, if they can say well yes that, yeah, other countries have colonies here is a thing we have that no mm. other country has and those some of those people can make an awful lot of money and power off um, the modernization of the nation. You know, basically, mm. if Germany invents the fast breeder reactor, for example, mm. <laughs> you know, suddenly they've got, well, we need hardly any uranium. Um, and actually, once, you know, once, once we started, we don't really need, you know, our, you know, they're almost self, self feeding. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah. JJ Thompson is clearly one of one of the big guys of this era because he, he's he's about mm. forty to fifty. Mm. Um, historically, I seem to recall his uh, students were always on alert um, and would keep keep him away from any experimental equipment because he would Excellent. break it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you just pre Rutherford, aren't you? Rutherford is a probably a grad student type. Uh, yeah, he probably is actually. In the late eight, late late eighteen nineties. Um, yeah, he's born in seventy one. So yeah, so he's in his early twenties. Yeah, still open mm. to new ideas. Um. Okay, so looking, I'm looking at a map of Kazakhstan now, and it is it, <laughs> it is basically sandwiched in between uh, Xinjiang and Russia. Um, so what happens there is going to be very interesting. Um, and Iran, uh, to an extent, so. So, you know, I think a question there is, does it become a point of, you know, a, a nexus of conflict between China and Russia? Um, is there a cooperation between China I, and Russia I, to basically annex well, it? Well, and if, it's, um, if Iran is, uh, just blow it, the old, uh, add in the Ottoman Empire. Yeah. Yeah, who are certainly yeah. going to be interested. Yeah, I mean, Ru- Russia is not a power that people take seriously, and it, it occurs to me that they probably won't have a revolution, or if they do, mm. it will look very different. Um, I don't know much about China at that point. Um, I think China's a bit busy. Um, uh, trying to remember. Mm. Uh, I will turn to my good friend Wikipedia. Uh, history <laughs> of China. So the Ottoman Empire is kind of imploding at this point because you you're starting to get towards Ataturk and yeah, I mean it, it's it, it it is not having the First World War to put the mm. cap on it, but it is definitely your classic decaying mm. state. 
Okay, so you've had the Taiping Rebellion. Um, there's been an effort to sort of rebuild things centrally, which were seriously weakened um, by all of this. Um, you've got the Brits who are basically sticking their, fi- their fingers in as many pies as possible and screwing things over as much as they can. Well, so... And getting everybody as drugged up as they can. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so you've now, so does the Sino-Japanese war happen? Um, what's the trigger? It's uh, basically about Korea. I don't offhand see why that would go differently. Um, I mean, similarly, the Russo-Japanese War, that's a a few years after the period. So you've got... Which I I, I know primarily as the point where the world starts having to take Mm -hmm. Japan seriously. So basically you have the Sino-Japanese War followed immediately by panicked efforts to modernise the Chinese army, um, which are not very successful. Um... And there's loads of uh, comprehensive attempts at reform, but the Dowager Empress suppresses that uh, out of fear of foreign intervention and so on. Um, So, and then shortly followed by the Boxer Rebellion, and then uh, that's when all of Mm. the European powers get involved. It does occur to me that with Kazakhstan sitting there and essentially unable to defend itself against any vaguely modern force, it becomes the uranium source of essentially everybody because it's easier to set up a small mining operation mm. there with your private army to defend it than it is to steal something from Canada or Australia mm-hmm. going against the might of empire. Yes, definitely. Which is not much fun for the locals, but I think you, you might well, in, in effect, get a whole bunch of company towns with, with their with their own mm. private armies. Yeah, it's almost a Wild West. And each of them probably with, with their foreign patrons who are building modern forces with the uranium. Mm. You've also got... So at this point... Um, so Kazakhstan has been... is nominally controlled by Russia... And there is quite a bit of resistance at this point to cultural oppression and um, the effects on the traditional lifestyle of people there. So again, this might be one of those situations where the the actual people of Kazakhstan think they welcome foreign intervention to rid them of these pestilent Russians. That will probably turn out to be a mistake, but these things happen. You know, so would they be going, oh, hey, you know, actually these, you know, this Iranian or, uh, you know, Chinese leaders are offering to help us, or French, French. you know, are offering to help us throw off the yoke. Um, So the French, historically at this point... Uh, And they don't really care what language we speak as long as we go down the mines on time. In in fact, actually, at this point, I think you... I think there's still a reasonable chance you could get the sort of um, adventurer situation, as in real life, not D&D, where, Mm. you know, someone does a bit of prospecting in Kazakhstan and works out there's likely some uranium. Someone gets together, essentially, a private army 
to oh I'm going to help the Kazakhs throw off the Russian yoke establish you know bring so in some almost, German yeah, en- so, so yeah I'm going to bring in some German engineers some English engineers very similar to what happened say in South America mm. um, you know the... yeah mm. we we set up you know we we do a lightning oh. you know campaign we set up something we're going to start mining operations we're going to build our own reactors and if you can do it fast enough maybe you can get things in a position where it's easier for the French and the English and everyone to say, well, all right, we'll trade with you for this stuff. And after all, we went to boarding school with you than to try and invade for yourself. And also you may, may well find that, um, if again, if you get established solidly enough and fast enough, you can just pay off the local Russian room yeah. to look the other way. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, so you, do you get a sort of... It's not exactly East India Company, but you know that sort of vibe. It's more a whole bunch mm. of East Indian companies, I suspect, because they've all got different foreign patrons. So even even if they want yeah. to join up, they're going to have some yeah. difficulty yeah. in doing so. Um, but so I can imagine that being a kind of slightly chaotic thing. Of you know, there's there's protection of various kinds, and the sort of tacit agreements between people and. The Russians are kind of maybe nominally still in charge, but accept that mm. they are not really in charge and they're getting paid. So, um, and then then maybe that is your sort of uh, it, that's a good area for Cold War shenanigans. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, Spies, well, um, especially considering that literally, you know, you have three, very four, five, six different towns all within walking distance of each other mm. because at the end of the day the mines aren't going to be that far apart um, all of whom are armed to the teeth all of whom are fortress city but need to actually still get people into mine and the uh, ura- you know the mined uranium out mm-hmm. um, yeah Robert. yes yeah, well, that, to... that goes on the ideas list immediately. Yes, uh, <laughs> and it, 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 the nice thing about uranium is it's one of the few things that's valuable enough and low bulk enough that it makes yeah. sense to do it that way. I mean, it, again, it's something you're probably going to get people trying to smuggle out. Um, it, yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's probably more than you get you know mm. in your backpack. But a few wagon loads would be severely yeah. valuable. So. Well, and again, the people who have decided to try and smuggle the don't necessarily realise how much of it they need. Um, or realise you know. quite mm-hmm. how, how bad oh, yeah. a whole load of unshielded <laughs> uranium actually is against it, your back. Yeah, it, okay. it's fine. So, I've swallowed well, it. They'll never find it. Yes. Um, okay, so yeah, you've got, you've got the train robbery. You've got... Uh, okay, so for game ability, you've got um, what if you're the local people and would like to actually be in charge of your country, um, which is currently being run by an assortment of international uh, mining operations. Uh, not something I would personally mm. feel competent to write, but um, you know, I think that's a you know button of interest. I mean, Kazakhstan seems to be the the easy. There's lots of... If, if you want a yeah. high-action game. You've got wide-open yeah. spaces. Yeah. You know, well, you also are talking, you know, sort of, well, as soon as it's not within sight, basically uh, 
yeah, you know, the, the, I know, I know that they're, they they've just let a shipment go. You know, you know, it's it, it's their armored train. It's supposed to be uh, thing. Well, no, tra- you know, no armored train is uh, proof against uh, gelignite or whatever. And mm-hmm. well, we've got this fascinating new um, high energy particle weapon. Well. You yes, because there's, there's, you're going to get that side of physics going on, and yeah. I mean the the the, mm-hmm. the yeah, instinct have, to weaponize everything is going to be very yeah. strong at this period. And, 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 and again, we're talking that we have a lot more power than we have um, probably usage for it. Because mm-hmm. um, even if we just even if, yeah, I mean sc- scaling down the reactors yeah. is the hard bit because we're turning it all into steam, so we're using it as steam power. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. Sooner or later, somebody's going to go. Do you know we could actually just put a dynamo on this? And well, yeah, I mean that's that, that's what you end up yeah, doing. You, but you, but you, not um, necessarily just to yeah run it yeah, through. Not steam necessarily turbine. just to basically put the dynamo and then put the dynamo into water to get the hydrogen off to basically um, uh, give you something else that you can burn to produce steam. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I think I think you may actually get um, atomic reactors before electric yes. motors. <laughs> uh, sort of the the concept from the point where you have the concept of electricity, you actually have. So um, obviously, you've got um, yeah, fair enough. Oh, is it Faraday who's the atomic? Who's the official person for the? For the motor, for the motor, Probably, but yeah. Um, yeah. to be honest, um, that concept has has been around. People have been aware of that for a while. The, what he does is basically he works out what the hell's going on um, and with species. But but the basic idea has been around. I mean, you potentially um, with some of the stuff. I mean, obviously, so you have electroplating back in Babylonian times. There are some things sure. that you could argue the toss might be um, either hand-cranked electroplating stuff, or if you've put the power the other way, it might be something that spins because of. Um, so, yeah. th- but th- th- again, there's a whole load of... Yeah, so so probably what you get is right. We we now have rich, chunky amps. Let's look at all these devices that are a bit rubbish because we've been powering mm. them off two lemons, and see what they can do when you put well, real battery power. Battery technology them. is really bad at this. Uh, early batteries are all full of acid and stuff, aren't they? So oh, horrific. Yeah. Mm. Um, so okay. And you 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 do have dynamos and steam turbines fairly readily, even without bringing mm. them forward. Yeah, I mean, for direct power, it's fine. At some point, you're going to get the pressure to mine for lithium and so on. Um, so that's mm. going to be a, but that's probably a future thing based on what you've said about the timeline. You were. So part of the thing with lithium, um, similar to aluminium, you're kind of needing electricity to um, refine it. Yeah. Um, aluminium's interesting. Because there's all this crappy stone around that we can't do anything with. Can't think, you know. Can't. Get, we know that there's something in there. 
can't get access to to this to this thing. Oh, what do you mean? If we basically put put an electric current through it, it basically suddenly starts actually. Oh, and suddenly aluminium starts becoming quite important quite mm. quickly. Um, once you've got power, aluminium mm. is a really the jump to aluminium is is a really quick jump. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because you've suddenly got the ore already. You, you know it's yes. going to be interesting. And trust me, you've got the ore because every bugger's got the ore because yeah. aluminium ore is basically just everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Another thing that um, I, I have in my notes on this is, you know, sometime in the in the eighteen nineties, you probably get the equivalent of a right flyer. Um, that that does need a high power, low weight engine, but you're probably going to get it some I by think some you're technology. You're probably going if you're going to use do that. You're probably talking. You might still go petroleum. Um, mm. However, you do have hydrogen. Now the problem with hydrogen is you yeah. get too much of a bang for your buck, um, unless you're prop uh, also storage. storage. However. Potentially, if you've got, yeah, you see, you're probably going to go the, the your your zeppelin route becomes a becomes a lot quicker, um, because it is incredibly easy to bang out some hydrogen. Um, you've also got a fair amount of um, helium. Um, because you're mm. talking about um, atomic uh, bits and pieces, and there's this odd gas that occasionally keeps getting given off and doesn't really seem to do anything. Yeah, it's not a big byproduct, yeah. but it's but, Well, no, but again, you're, if you think historically where most of your helium comes from, you're talking basically nuclear... Um, well, I mean, traditionally, a lot of it is um, mixed up with, with uh, natural gas. Mm. Yes, but the base concepts of we have helium um, really comes from the um, we're, we're, um, a lot of it comes from the well from Manhattan Project onward sort of thing. Um, mm, so sure. so again, um, but 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 again, you know, helium is around, and we know about helium because um, the at the end of the day, uh, the Hindenburg was actually designed as a helium. Um, oh yeah, powered, sure. Um, or not powered, but um, helium uh, lift, and it was only the Brits refusing to actually hand it over. Was uh, it the Americans? Also the Americans. Or the Brits? I can't. I I I I lose track of. Yeah, I think I both. think both had access to it. Both turned around and said, "Nah, we don't really want you to have it," which is the reason why they did. And then they realised that their yeah. um, <clears throat> anti um, uh, the, 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 their fireproofing. Um, actually made it more more flammable, which is always a bonus. I feel, but um, mm. let's not let's let's mm. just gloss over that yeah, that whole yeah. side of um, yeah. We <laughs> may not. It's not technically <laughs> thermite. It just um. appear to have made that. It just it just it's only thermite when it gets really really hot. Um, but um, yeah. So what what other game stuff have we got in this setting? So you've got. You've got you a, have got you have got you've got ships that can. If, okay, you've probably got good refrigeration because you've yes. got electricity. Mm-hmm. So the, you've now got ships which can. I mean, these ships could presumably 
kind of run like a nuclear sub does. You know, they could, whether they're warships or not, whatever ships are on this could sort of make long, continuous voyages for long periods. Yeah, I mean, historically, you've got loads of tin food and stuff like yeah. that anyway, and you've got, the, but you've got the storage yeah. space for it. And when the Royal Navy rediscovers scurvy, having forgotten about how it worked, uh, bless them. Uh, institutional mm. continuity. Um, but but then they can then say, okay, you know, let let us let us have a refrigerated green store on board. Hell, let us have a, a yeah. greenhouse on board. Well, actually, that that was part of my thought. So you know, you were saying you don't really want the ports. What you could potentially have is um, almost a um, a port in the middle of the sea, which is basically, um, you know, you have your kind of super tanker-sized mm-hmm. um, thing, which is basically all greenhouses, all bits and pieces. Um, it's big enough. It's big enough. It's powerful enough. It can basically weather any storm. Um, they've thought about this thing of actually putting all the bulkheads actually to the ceiling. So basically it is pretty much unsinkable. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And you can build it around one of those, uh, you know, inhabited or largely uninhabited islands if you want. Well, you can do it with a, with an island or you can just do it as a right. Okay. This is where we want to have it in the sea. Mm. Boom. Yeah. I mean, you you do need a lot of passing traffic that needs to, yeah, food, but but, but but if yeah. say for example that's your and suddenly you know you have the well the the Royal Navy ships they never dock they never need to <laughs> why do where the hell do they get all their stuff from but nobody's dying of scurvy well what's going yeah. on yeah you know and basically it's this you know couple of secret secret bases and um, you can presumably also have fast vegetable resupply ships essentially um you know uh racing out to refuel the uh some of these vessels with uh you know perishables if necessary yeah though as, as roger says you know if you've got canned you know if you've got enough stuff that's canned yeah you know i mean be- bearing in mind no- nobody seriously tried to build an island resupply station in mid-atlantic even in mm. the age of sail, because you could get there with the, f- with yeah, the food you had. I, I can certainly see the odd Pacific yes. Island being used for this, though, or similar positions. Yeah. Uh, and of, of co- and, okay, so at whatever point you get... Um... You also, the other thought as well, just, sorry, just going back to the yeah. thing, you've got stuff cruising around at 20, 30 knots, Continuously at twenty thirty knots. It's not basically going at, um, at you know emergency speed. That's the cruising speed. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, you are talking about the fact that basically, right, something starts kicking off. A day later, you have twenty. Um, you, that, that place is blockaded by twenty um, um, major, you know, ships of the line. It doesn't matter where from, from, you know, it doesn't matter where, where in the world you're talking. You're talking less than 24 hours. We can get a, um, you know, as long as we know about it, we can mm-hmm. get our, um, our people there. The other thing as well is, um, you've got powerful enough, um, 
um, electric, well, you, you, you've very quickly, very easily got powerful enough electric current um, that you are able to send um, messages um, very quickly to your ships of the line. So you're, you're, you're in communication. You're, you're suddenly, you're able to turn around and say, um, right, okay, we know our dreadnoughts there. Yeah, I, I, I think some of the travel times may get up to several days, but certainly anywhere in the world. Yeah, in less but, than a but, week. but even so, I mean, let's assume you've actually got, um, what we actually had, which is basically you have, um, a fleet pretty much in every sea. And suddenly, mm-hmm. you're actually probably not that far from, you know. I mean, if, you, mm-hmm. if you're if you talking, say, 30 knots, um, Australia to, I don't know, Korea is what, 24 hours, just over. Yeah. Um, you know, you're talking, you can shift your ship. And, oh, there appears to be a storm in the way. Bad luck. You know, they're gonna, we're gonna have some seasick, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, seasick people, but we can just power through because our ships are more powerful than the most powerful storm. You know, you're talking again, uh, right to the point where they hit, where they, they, they hit the hurricane that basically, um, basically quite literally snaps, snaps the boat in two. But, um, you know, you are talking mm-hmm. about not needing to go round. You're not te- needing to, you know, so suddenly you're, You've got a lot faster, um, communication levels. Um, again, if you're, if you're potentially have, you, um, if you've got, even if you've got sort of, um, the, the low stuff with Marconi Morse, um, you could have a chain of ships reasonably quickly, basically as received in, in the mm. way that the telegraph, uh, used to be. Um, and actually you can basically send your signal potentially say all the way from London to through to I don't know Melbourne um, with just continuous um, sort of sparks and stuff you know. mm-hmm. uh, so the Anzibar war may get yeah. even shorter yeah. well well yeah it, it was somewhere between 36 and 45 yeah. minutes um, but preceded by a six-week um, no, we are not going to accept Bloke A as the Sultan after the old, after the old one died. We, we insist on Bloke B. And by, by the time the six weeks had expired, there were, you know, cruisers, gunboats, yeah. bunch of marines. The, the, the ultimatum expired. They didn't take the flag down. Mm. They opened fire. Eventually, one of the shots hit the flag and knocked it off the pole and that was yeah. taken to surrender. <laughs> But I mean, so, that's, that, I mean, that was the thing. I mean, you know, it is quite literally peace through superior firepower. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So one thing which strikes me if we're, if we're going for, so a possible reason you might want to have some mid-ocean bases is for radio relays. Um, of which mm-hmm. the obvious one looking at a map to me is Hawaii. Oh yeah. Uh, which mm. I think at this point is British. Is, is that, isn't that American at this point? No, it's British. It's British until... No, that, that's quite uh, a bit Yeah, um, and they um, for choice they still would be. Yeah. It's, quite, it's really, really funny when you go there as a Brit. Uh, I thoroughly recommend it. If you ever get the chance, A, Hawaii is the most fantastic, wonderful place ever. It is one of the most beautiful places in the world. Go, go, go. 
but go there, but, but go in there as a Brit and basically, yeah, we can't stand the Americans. Why can't we stay with you? Why couldn't we have stayed with you? <laughs> Possibly the only people in the world who, uh, yeah. Well, because the Americans annexed it in 1890, yeah. whatever it was. And, and at that point, the uh, UK wasn't in a position. Yeah, to do I think we're not it. having that then, are we? Yeah. Um, so that's that's going to be an important. Um, yeah, I mean that's you know, the thing because suddenly. The, the... Well, the thing is, through the 19th century, it's it's sort of friendly to British, but it's basically got the US watching over it, and any time anybody like you know, Britain or uh, France or whoever says we would like, to, or mm. Germany in particular. Um, Try, tries to take over, um, the US says, no, we, we, we're going to preserve this as its own thing. Then the US yeah, changes but, its mind. But my thought is is that because Britain suddenly doesn't rule the waves, it absolutely hammers the waves into the ground sort of thing. There is nobody else anywhere near them. Mm. Suddenly, anything like that, well, we want this, and America says, no, well, bad luck. Sorry, um, what was that, America? Can't he? Nice fleet you yeah. got there. <laughs> nice fleet you got there. Yes, That'd be a shame exactly. something happened. Yeah. Oh, there's and a it, boat! Oh, oh, quaint! <laughs> yes. You know, and again, you know, you're talking an awful lot of power. You basically, with that much power, you are suddenly talking, um, armour? Nah. You measure it, you measure it in millimetres, I'm measuring it in feet. You know, um, and suddenly, because mm. you've got ship that stuff that's powerful enough that basically yes and, and at that point then you actually are potentially have the thing of well the most scary thing in the world is not your um um you know your, your guns or whatever it's the fact that basically you have an unstoppable mass coming towards you that's coming at 35 40 knots mm-hmm. and you can shoot at it all day because you're never going to get through that armor um, you know, quite literally, the only thing that's going to take it down is some form of atomic weapon. So, which presumably yeah. we're also thinking that they would be. Ah, uh, I've, I've got a slight gone. tweak on that. Uh, basically, it's this thing I stole from John Darwin, who used it in a campaign of his own. You, you change the uh, prompt neutron fraction, so you still get criticality, but you don't get the. Extremely high speed oh, you don't prompt get criticality of yeah, you don't, a nuclear you, weapon. You don't yeah. get the so 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 you can have an, a, a reactor that's ticking over and sustaining mm. itself, but you don't you don't you don't get yes. the very quick energy release. Like so so you're talking hydrogen bomb before uh, you actually can do anything. But again, you again suddenly your um, very bright sparks who are now are understanding. Atomic theory an awful lot better. Yeah, but it but it's difficult to it, achieve. It, it even is so, Partic- particularly without yes. a fission initiator. Yes, because I've been. Let's be honest about it. That's that's how it, they, they they originally did it. Was basically they, they triggered the fission bomb, which then triggered the hydrogen bomb, yeah. which then blew everything else up. Oh boy. Sorry, I'm just picturing the, the, the scenario in, in which somebody is claiming to have discovered red mercury. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, it sounds like this would quite, would fairly rapidly make it very difficult for other people to have wars. Assuming you didn't want them to have wars. 
that the yeah. British care about. Yeah. Um, I mean, you are. To, I mean, so, so so yes. I mean, historically, that was the case. Um, when we ruled, you know, when when the, when the sun never set on the British Empire, it was really quiet. This is still mm. technically true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it was really quiet because we stopped almost mm. all of the wars because we just turned around and said no. I, I see that pushing in two different directions. On the other hand, you have the entrenched establishment saying the world is correctly ordered and mm. we want it to stay that way. On the other hand, you have all these people not wasting their efforts going off and dying mm. in wars. And and doing useful things instead. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so. I, 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 I also it's it's a bit like um, uh, the Luther Arkwright um, uh, bits of pieces, where all you need is basically for a forced thing of right. Okay, um, I mean, in in that case, it's basically it's forced emancipation um, that happens a lot lot earlier. Um, and suddenly, mm. um, there are quite, quite literally, you actually, you know, uh, we've got, uh, people on Mars in the, um, in, in, in the mid 1800s. Um, mm. um, partly because it, because the, you, you get a, um, very, very, very powerful Catholic church, which are, um, very, very science orientated, um, which apparently Pope Joan would have been potentially, um, if she hadn't died in childbirth, mm. if she didn't well, at all, but yeah, <laughs> there's the. Well, I mean, that's that's that 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 that's the 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 the, the, the divergence for uh, for them, isn't it? But um, um, and you basically get um, so so, so potentially what you what you're going to get is you're going to get um, with free with with a lot more power becomes a lot more industrialised bits of pieces, which frees up a lot more um, uh, people, um, which promotes more civil unrest because you've got an awful lot of people who are reasonably well-educated. Let's assume that we go down the Cadbury's route mm-hmm. uh, and bits of pieces and we start turning around and saying, right, okay, we actually want to teach all the kids because we don't need to send them... They don't need to be putting their, you know, losing their fingers in looms and bits and pieces, or going down the mines. Um, uh, also, also, power and clever chemistry gets you chemical yes. fertilizers mm. very easily. Well, yeah, that's the uh, that was the whole thing of. Um, um, oh God, my brain's gone completely dead. Um, I should know, should know this. Beckham will smack me around the head 15 ways to Sunday. G- uh, German guy who, um, invented like, yeah, the Harbour. Harbour. Yeah. Hey, Heyberg, yeah. Yeah. Um, he was, um, good Nazi. Um, wife committed suicide, bless her, but, uh, um, he worked out how to, um, produce ammonia, uh, via basically mm-hmm. power. And as soon as you've got ammonia, one, you can make obviously bombs, but more importantly, you can, Make an awful lot of uh, fertilizer. Um, so, yeah. So you don't need the petrochemicals that you're being yes. blockaded from. Yes. Yeah. So suddenly you don't need the petrochemicals. We've got access to them, but we just don't choose to use them. Suddenly, the Middle East suddenly isn't the powerhouse that it then becomes. 
and suddenly, also the Amer- however, the Americas probably still will go down that route because they have easy access to it. So they've got easy access to coal. They've got easy access to petrochemicals. Well, petrochemicals particularly give you a better better energy density than basically yeah. anything else outside of a new, so. outside of a nuclear pile. So, yeah. um, so that sounds like, I mean, that uh, conflict is going to be off in the future because the wars for oil are later on. Um, but I, I, th- I think you're going to get small conflicts. But, uh, yeah, think, things that are not big enough for the empire to intervene in, because you know, no, neither of these parties is is, is an imperial yes. ally. What do we care? Um, yeah, except insofar as if it's in the Middle East, it might be considered to uh, threaten the uh, uh, whatever setup we have in Kazakhstan. But yes, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. we probably well, well, we'll still have Egypt. We'll still have the Suez because we, it's the easiest way. Of mm-hmm. um, shifting stuff, you know. In fact, actually, even more so now. Um, and in fact, actually, what you might end up finding is instead of there being one canal, we've 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 turned around and said, "Oh, we'll just dig a couple of them." We've got all this power now. Yeah, one going one way, one going the other, purely and simply because we have stupid. You know, we we've got more power than sense. Um. I think we're probably, I think some of the mad ideas of um, under, um, say, re, um, redoing London um, with the um, overground, underground, um, but again, all electric and bits and pieces, you're probably talking down mm. that sort of thing. You're talking maybe... All of you know, you don't particularly suddenly or most of you. One thing that you you're definitely going to get is um, Britain is going to be a far cleaner place, um, at least as far as, far as, as, far as you can see. Much, uh, you know, you're not going to have dangerous pea supers to anything like the same extent. Um, you're not going to have people with major respiratory issues from mining and or pollution. Mm. That'll help. And, um, uh, you. Yes, you're probably going to lose your mining industries. So there's going to be big areas of the country that no longer are relevant. South Wales, Nottingham, um, the um, my area of the uh, of Staffordshire, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, however, you're either going to get people just moving from there to the actual industrial centres because they're they're not that far away. Um, Or you might even have um, slightly different industrial centres. So, for example, um, I'm trying to think where the Trent is, uh, where the Seven and the Trent are navigatable to. Um, But definitely, all of a sudden, Mm. um, we've got locomotives... So we're basically pushing locos around. We might not necessarily, we might even think about going back to, um, canal based, uh, bits mm-hmm. and pieces because yes, you're right. You wouldn't particularly want to have a, you wouldn't, the weight of the, um, the lead and bits and pieces wouldn't particularly work on a loco, 
put on a canal barge. Um, the problem is, no, again, I think the problem is made a free path. Uh, basically, you're, you're going to get um, some gammas, you're going to get neutrons coming off the pile, and and you just don't have enough room to shield them, even, even if you have, you know, two yeah. feet of lead or whatever. But you could, okay. Um, um, so obviously, because transporting things on canals is efficient because of the buoyancy. Um, so, okay, tell me if this is stupid. Probably is. Um, you've got loads of power to do things like bore tunnels now. Yep. Okay. Artificial underground canal network with barges powered by electricity no, from all those piles. It wouldn't, no, you wouldn't do that. What you would do is the, what they originally intended the underground to be. Which is basically the, in essence, what um, um, Elon Musk's um, hyper thing oh, is. Oh yeah, you know, with the vacuum and bits and pieces. Well, actually, if you look at the original, where that where that idea came came from was basically um, that that was what they originally were going to do with the um, underground. It was going to be all vacuum. Uh, tunnels and bits and pieces, and it was only the fact that the rats kept eating through the um, oh, the uh, leather, the, the the leather and bits and pieces, because you should be able to, because you could, because obviously at that point then you once you started going, there's no, there's no, you've got vacuum and bits and pieces, and actually you potentially you've got air being pushed through from behind. You're actually not needing very much power on your actual. Um, though you still have you track fraction. fraction, but you're, if, if you're doing it through vacuum air pump, you potentially, and you've got decent seals, um, you could potentially, again, you're talking stupid amounts of power, but we've got stupid amounts of power. Um, <laughs> you know, suddenly, yeah. yeah, exactly as Shim says, you know, if you've got the ability where you just go, do you know what? We'll just drill through it. Um, that the UK actually is reasonably okay for stuff like that. There is a few areas, funnily enough, actually a lot of it in the south, uh, in the southeast, because obviously where you've got chalk and bits of pieces, chalk doesn't really take drilling very well. Um, but where you've got anywhere yeah. with, um, even sandstone based, um, definitely where you've got, um, granite based, um, you can, um, produce long tunnels that are quite stable, quite, and they're going to stay stable. Here's the thing I want to do that's a, a step down embarking from that, but maybe not a whole step. If you are building new canals mm. anyway, you engineer them for water flow. So you have a constant, you know, ten, five, ten mile an hour current. And you basically have canal, this, this is the direction that canal runs and you have another canal going in the other direction. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Ag again, huge amount of power, but then, uh, your individual transport is yes. essentially yeah. free. It needs minimal power. Yeah, I like that. 
you don't even necessarily need crews on them as long as you can get somebody to if it if it hangs up on a yeah. corner or yeah. something. Yes, um, you actually potentially then your clock. Although you've got a load of unemployed miners, I mean, you might as well stick them on about. Yeah, but also you're sort of talking, <laughs> you know, again, your clockwork automation. But yeah, but your unemployed miners are your are, are basically digging your canals for you. Yeah. Are you you're using them in their digging? But to be, you know, to, to using them for for their sort of construction work uh, ability. Meanwhile, you're educating their kids to basically be the the, the middle class of the that you that you that you kind of need to be able to to run the empire. Yeah, and buy and all the stuff you're stuff making. You're making yeah. yeah, I mean you. You might still get some interesting class structures, so I suspect you'd end up with throwing all the miners' kids at STEM. Yeah, and you'd end up, you'd end up with a thing where you know the upper classes are still going to Harrow and Eton and Oxford and doing classics. Yes, but because they don't need to learn, um, you know the the energy coefficient of um, the Type Twenty Three, um, mm. you know, fission pile. Um, however, little Johnny, whose dad was th- dad was a miner until they stopped that, and then uh, and then was basically dug that cut. Um, basically, he does know that. Oh, and by the way, he's also agitating, right, rather rightly so, because um, he thinks he's probably more useful than um, somebody who can um, wander uh, lonely as a cloud, sort of thing. Though also, I mean, this is happening smack in the middle of the arts and crafts yes. movement. Yes, of course. Yeah, you're Browning, and yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, of course, um, you know, all this this uh, you know boundless energy is going to, at least in theory, at least in what you tell people, is going to free up free people for a life of uh, intellectual pursuits. Uh, and if you're the right sort of person, it probably will. Um, mm. Well, actually, to be fair. If you're British, it probably will. Because, again, one of the things that, you know, you've got to remember is the fact that the class system, you know, goes to the lowest of the low in the UK, in Britain and then drops down as we go through the rest of the empire. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've recently been reading about Gallipoli and. Yeah, there there are lots. There's a lot of stuff said about the First World War, which I think doesn't entirely hold up. But it is definitely oh well, they don't matter. Yes. They're only colonials. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I yeah. Mean, I mean, the Anzacs were. If you look at what happened at Gallipoli, I mean, there's um, there's some quite good. There were a couple of quite good films in the. I want to say late eighties, early nineties. Um, there was one with. Um, oh God, my brain's gone. Uh, Dead. Uh, Crocodile Dundee. Paul. Was Paul McGann? No, Paul Thingley. No, Not Paul. Yeah, Paul Hogan. Hogan. Uh, there's one with him in, um, which he did where um, basically they were lo- looking at the Anzacs and bits and pieces. Um, and again, you're looking at a lot of it was the fact that they were being told to do stuff. Mm. And quite often. How should I put it this way? The orders were tweaked somewhat to actually work. Mm. So they actually, they did because mm. they actually had quite 
competent senior officers. Um, and so stuff was gently, well, we could do that. Or if we just did this, we'd give them exactly what they wanted and we wouldn't all die. Yeah, that, that is one of the things in this setting. It, it is considered quite normal to, to say, right, well, we're going to send these several hundred men to their deaths in, in the hope of achieving a minor, yes. minor gain. Because, mm. I mean, that, that was, you know, well, Charge of the Light Brigade, etc., etc. I mean, Charge yeah. of the Light Brigade was an act. Well, that, 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 that was more a, a yeah. personal Char- enmity yeah. that expanded yeah. to kill everybody um, else as well. But the but, thing yeah. that you always forget is it worked. The Light mm-hmm. Brigade might have been wiped out, but so were the guns. They actually took out the guns at the other yeah. end because there were enough of them that got through mm-hmm. that basically um, they cleared out um, and they actually did, you know, it, it, it was it was horrific and it was lost far too many things, but it was actually a successful operation. Yeah. You know, that's the thing that we all, you know, it's really easy to forget is the fact that actually at the end of the day, yes, they did take out all the guns. Because mm. I think they actually, mm. they, they took out the guns at the end and then they they went back around and took out the ones that shot something to buggery. So, uh, yeah. But, um, you know, you've got, um, yeah, the, the, as you say, it's exactly the opposite of what we were talking about at, right at the beginning where um, historically now we have never valued life so highly mm. life is really yeah. really cheap it's a bit like um, it's a bit like what we were talking about in the end guard campaign Roger um, where mm. we're almost because it's um, so when we're playing end guard some of us have got great characters, and then there's my character, um, <laughs> and um, who I think I'm probably about five or ten points below everyone else's from from an actual. If you add all the stats together and stuff, but um, which which is fine because he's actually doing quite well, and um, and basically he just needs to make damn sure he doesn't duel anybody, not until <laughs> not until he's <laughs> at, not until he's uh, up to strength by. Five, which would require twenty, yeah, twenty-five yeah. weeks, twenty-five of weeks weapon of weapon practice, practice yeah. just practicing his weapons. Um, but, but don't worry about that; it's all going to be fine. Um, and um, <laughs> yeah, I've, Roger and I had a duel. I'm actually more skilled than he is. He wiped the floor with me because I went stabby, and he went stab, and. My little stabby took about ten percent of his life off him, and his stab took over fifty percent of mine, which was a bit of a ooh moment. Mm, best Never not mind. to do that. Yeah. yeah. So, and they mm. were two equal because we both did this exactly the same maneuver. You see. Yeah. I did it slightly. Mine was more elegant than his. His was, <laughs> just, a, was just a little bit more efficient than mine. So, uh, but yeah. Yeah, because you do damage based on, you know, what you did versus what they did times your strength. Yeah. Yes. So, so when I have a strength of five and he, you had a strength of 11? 10, uh, 11, something like 10, that? 10, 11, something yeah. like that. So at least double mine. 
Um, and uh, also your hit point is, is partly based on your strength. <clears throat> I have a strength of five. Uh, no, uh, endure, yeah, endurance and is strength uh, times expertise. Expertise, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. my skill is quite good. I'm, 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 quite, I'm, I'm quite good. But I still only have a strength of five. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I can see some disadvantages there. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, me, meanwhile, John's character is at, up to the point of skill where all right, technically I have to stand against you, but I'm just going. I'm just going to stand here, literally, because guy of the rules. I have to spend half half my uh, round resting because you are just so much more skilled than I am. Uh, eventually, you will you will deign to poke, poke me through the chest, and I, and I can yeah. say I surrender, sir. Excellent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean J- J- John's character. I think he's got like fifteen, and he's got something like about fifteen skill and twelve strength. He's up to so, he's yeah, up to okay, twenty now. Of. Good grief. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not a man to be trifled anyway. with. No, I mean he's you know, which is brilliant. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, and it, you know he's he's this you know. Uh, oh yeah, that's the other thing as well is. So we've been doing all this thing of trying to raise our um, our social levels and stuff. John started slightly higher and has moved, but he's not gone up anywhere near as quick. So an awful lot of his thing has basically been, and I practice with my saber, and I, I practice see. with my saber. <laughs> Oh, and I practice with my saber. So basically, he's this killing machine. Um, you know, I mean, he is kind of like, you know, pretty much at, you know, surrounded the Bergerac level. Um, mm. um, whereas we're, um, um, you know, kind of more dog tanyan. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But again, part of the thing, the reason why I was talking about that was, um, um, when, especially when you're campaigning, you can, one of the things you can do is basically go, do you know what? If this character dies, it's not the end of the world. So you drop your, um, your chance of living to improve your chance of doing well, getting money and so on and so forth. Um, and it very much is, it's, it's almost feeling like the, the old AD&D thing of, you know, you've just rolled up your character. Oh, God, this is another crap one. Right, okay. I go in, um, full guns are blazing and bits of pieces. Oh, look, I've died. What a shame. I've got to roll another character. Oh, oh look, I've won. Um, I, I've, I've defeated this fight. I've got some money. I can get some decent armor. I can get some decent um, bonus. You know, I can get a magic mm. weapon or something. And suddenly, my crappy character isn't quite as crappy because I've been able to improve through... Tat. Mm. Well, these days they call it a character funnel, don't they? You know, you, you get a bunch of zero-level characters go through an adventure, and the survivors yes. become your PCs. Mm. Yeah, which can be, which can actually be quite good fun. Um, I've done that before. Now we um, we never really carried on with it much, much, but basically we did a, a thing, really, really simple. Um, you live basically on mountain tops, mm. um, everywhere below you is fog or mist um, you can just about breathe in about the first 50-60 metres, below that it basically chokes you mm. um, nobody's quite sure how long it's been but we know that we used to be live down there and this thing oh and by the way, uh, people who live down in, in the actual fog are lizard folk, so there's you living at the top and the lizard folk and basically you fight each other and stuff but 
they don't, you know, if you, if they capture you, they make sure that you don't go too deep. Um, if you capture them, you make sure that you're, they're kind of in the foggy bit that they can live in and so on and so forth. And everyone's kind of happy. Um, and suddenly something is turned because suddenly they're attacking and they're attacking like they mean it. And it's your, uh, coming of age. You're in the long house. And the lizard men are attacking. What do you want to do? And mm. that's basically where we started. And mm. there's a whole load of bits and pieces. And then you go down and you find out that there was basically, you know, the reason why sort of like, you know, the humans, well, what's left of you, there's kind of, you're kind of like a mismatch of human elf dwarf. Mm-hmm. Um, but the original people's, um, you will eventually, if you can get down to a certain level, be become what you should be. Um, and also you can start dropping the the mists down, um, depending on what's going on, because they're actually artificially being... Because the world should not be covered in mist. Mm. And um, there's some very interesting artificial stuff going on um, that mm. the characters eventually would will, will, will find. And, and, and that was... That was kind of me, quite literally, walking along um, the Mulvans, mm. um, which is kind of quite literally. All that. And there's there's a few places where that goes to that. So, oh, you could just about put a house upon here. And mm. there's a few places where, oh, you could just about put a village upon here. But it's all kind of up, at, you know, once you've got up, you can stay up the top without walking along. And I'm mm. thinking, oh, I wonder... And then sort of looking along the things like the, the Andes and bits and pieces and, and the Rockies and stuff and going, well, well, if, if, if you actually raised (laughs) everything up, could you? Yeah. A lot of hill ranges, you get that thing where, where it's lappy against the shore at the, yeah, a little bit over the top. And the, the the fog rolling down the valley or whatever. I mean, you definitely get that. I mean, yeah, up, up in Snowdon or, in this, whatever it is these days. Um, um, basically, uh, yeah, you can, I mean, I've been up at, up at the top of Snowden before now and I've literally climbed with hardly any visibility. Mm. And the last sort of quarter, half a mile, glorious sunshine. You know, mm. you're looking around going, I can see Ireland. Can't see any of Wales, but I can see Ireland. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, visibility is weird, isn't it? Yeah, but again, it's one of these things. So, again, one of the things um, I, I, I kind of want to do, sort of fantasy, but kind of a bit more. Wow, you know, you've got a magic spell. You are the most powerful person in, you know, in the whole area sort of thing. Mm. Um, but, I, but part of the reason why I want to do that is basically to do the, right, okay, you're walking along. It started raining. Okay. Right. Can everybody start making stamina checks? Mm. No, no. For every step, you know, because you are walking in about eight inches of mud, you know. Oh, if you critically fail, by the way, you've just lost your shoe. 
<laughs> you know. Yeah, ultra low but, fantasy. Well, but you say that's ultra low, but that's what tra- an awful lot of, unless you were travelling on the Roman roads, mm-hmm. that's what travelling in medieval Britain was like. And nobody's pitched them to build a stone yeah. wall, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and that's the thing. Oh gosh, you know, yeah, that there, there was. Well, actually, it was all right. Um, you know, at least it's drained. Mm. So you know, it's, it's only going to be about three or four inches on on, on your Roman roads. You know, with, with the mud, because actually, because because the drainage still works. But um, yeah, because um, games in general are a lot of them have things like survival and traveling and navigation but in my experience they rarely actually end up being relevant because people either don't use them or get bored of them quite quickly in or it comes into you get there but you take a bit longer because yeah. you screwed yeah. up a bit. so so in the original D&D um they expanded, and one of the things they did was uh, the Wilderness Survival Guide, mm. which was exactly talking about things like this. And in in the original D and D Dungeon Master's Tome, there, trust me, there was stuff about weather. There was stuff about bloody everything. In, in you know, it, it it's still worth having a having a read through. You can actually um, pretty much um, do a um, um, solo adventure. Uh, based on some of the stuff that's in there, because you can actually um, randomly roll up a, um, a dungeon as you go along. Um, mm. it's, it's it's brilliant for yeah. uh, you know yeah. it's really really good. Um, you know there's the stuff all about bards. There's all the stuff about psionics and bits and pieces that, that that's buried in 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 the, in the middle of it all. Uh, and it's 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 really good fun. But but the um, the wilderness uh, so you had the Dungeoneer survival guide which actually started talking about ecosystems and you know and, and started talking about the um, the undersea and things like that and uh, uh, yeah I mean the, the survival guides are the, the last gasp yeah. of original AD and D they they'd got well, rid of Gary yeah. by that point and this this is sort of proto or I think they were in the process of getting rid of them. this is proto yes, second you're edition. starting to talk about the uh, the concept of skills and things like that so yeah so mm-hmm. so whereas you um when you rolled up your character you could uh give your character a background thing so you could turn around and say your character um was a sailor um and then you could assume that you actually had all of the skill in in the um in the dungeoneers and the wilderness survival guys you actually have the concept of actual skills and yes you know you First edition yeah, of proficiency yes. slots, basically, um, and, and 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 it was brilliant. It was, it, you know, it really was a oh, um, as opposed to the um, complete buggers thing, which was the um, oh, what was the one they did just before it? The th- uh, the thing he'd unearthed Oh my, the oh, original my... unearthed Arcana. That that really was yeah, Gary's you, last. And, big and you read thing it, and D&D. you just went okay. Oh, you're giving you're giving me another stat, comeliness. Fantastic. That's yeah. what I was asking for. I mean, to be fair, <laughs> the the cavalier was 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 quite a nice concept. And actually, if you went if you were going for a kind of higher fantasy, sort of more, you know, sort of courtly a bit species, it, it mm. kind of worked quite well. And I quite like the idea that you basically. 
you move paladins from being a, um, a fighter variant to being a cavalier variant, which was quite nice. Um, but um, yeah, there was a whole load of stuff in there that you just read and just went, oh, for the love of God, no. Please, no. Cantrips were all right, to be fair. So mm, I like cantrips. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They've, they've survived. But, so. um, I like the... I quite like the Pathfinder Cavalier, although I think anything that involves mounts is always going to struggle. I've never seen anyone actually play a Cavalier or any character that actually used a mount. Well... I, I think you'd, you'd want a campaign with substantial outdoor components yeah. apart from anything else. Yeah, but um, yeah, um, even, even with... I may to do play, that well. not with Pathfinder, but I may have played a halfling um, whose mount was a dog. More viable, certainly. Um, and that actually, mm. that was really good fun. Um, oh, God, it was... Legend. There was uh, one of the characters in that um, Bowie. Bowie, there we go. Bowie, Bowie. Uh, which so whatever the one Bowie was the bad guy for. Pan? Pan's uh, Lemon? No, the one with the, the one the one where no. he, he he couldn't move the balls around, so somebody had to put it put their hand up between his legs. Labyrinth. You may remember the film yeah. differently, but yeah. There's there's a bit where he's basically quite literally spinning these three. Um, uh, balls round, and he just could, he just couldn't do it. So they actually ended up with basically getting some stage magician who could do, who could do it, and mm-hmm. whose hand looked roughly like uh, Bowie's. And quite literally, he he was his hand was literally going up between Bowie's legs to actually do that. So because it looks looked cool, I can't remember what exactly what the balls meant, but. They, they... <laughs> <laughs> it's it's it was just something that just tickled me when I when I found out about it. Uh, but well, I, actually, th- thinking at, of, of world building, I think it's very easy for fantasy to fall into the regimented model. You know, spells are a known thing, races are a known thing, monsters are a known thing, which is fine as far as it goes. But there isn't a lot of wonder there. I mean, compared with I don't know, think about yeah, something mm. like Dunsany. Or even Lovecraftian yeah. Dreamlands, uh, where you've you've got you just don't know what might be out there. Yeah, and you're always learning the names of new things, and, and it's got much more of that sort of mythic vibe to it. Mm. Um, or yeah, I mean, because stuff like Lord of the Rings often has known things, but to the characters, we, the the viewpoint characters, they are new wondrous things being introduced. Mm. Um, and that that's the sort of a similar sort of vibe in that sense and look at the other big influence and somebody like Conan does not know what he's going to meet but he knows that if it mm. breathes he can kill yeah. it and, and again that's a good example <laughs> because it's always something weird it's not oh another X yeah. Um, yeah and actually that's part of the thing as well is the fact that quite a lot of the things Conan kills thought they were invulnerable to that sort of weaponry mm-hmm. right to the point where Conan kills them no. <laughs> um, you know, um, because, you know, a lot of it is because he believes he can, he can. Conan is a one of 40k orc. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my, my head canon for one forty thousand is that actually Imperial technology also works that way. They just haven't realized it yet. 
because that's why, that's why the last ones go pew and fire a visible beam of light. Because <laughs> that's what that, that's what a laser beam looks like. Yeah, yeah. So it all makes sense now. I quite yeah. Mm. I mean, that's very much the um, oh god, um, the white wolf um, magic. Mm. Is it magician? Uh, mage. mage, mage. So very much. Um, the whole point is, is that you have um, everything has its own um, set of things, and the ones that have won are the te- are the technological mage mages. But it's still just magic. Yeah. The, everybody believes it. Mm-hmm. So if you are, I don't know. Member of the Order of Hermes or whatever, um, you know, um, or a hermetical um, uh, magician or whatever, you've got to basically you're going up against the the baseline of what everybody else believes. So mm. you've got to power over that to actually be able to cast your spell. People, yeah, all your witnesses are saying people yes. can't yeah. do that. Yeah. yeah, and 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 there's a whole now because it's so skewed. Um, there's a lot of bits of pieces, so you can actually get you get um, paradox um, mm. if you do too much of it. And people are going, no, no, that can't be right. That can't be right, and that starts creating paradox, and paradox can start doing nasty things to the to, to, to getting yeah. you out of the equation. Um, I, th- I think it's difficult to get wholehearted about that. I mean, theoretically, anybody could change yeah. the world. But if you, if, yeah. if, if I don't know, it's got limited having yeah. the gift. I mean, if it, your but. if your ability is strong enough. But again, it's going. That's going back to the Conan. You know, he has such a. The blinkers are so tight around him mm. um, that yes, he can do it because, well. That's his belief, and his belief overrides everybody else's. Hmm. Um, and again, that kind of fits a lot of the way that magic is in a lot of the stories and so on and so forth. Again, part of the problem we sort of have is the fact that because unless you're playing something like Ars Magica, um, where, yes, your magicians are stupidly more powerful than everybody else um but you aren't you aren't the magician you're basically one of the hang- hangers on and um so on and so forth <laughs> mm, uh, yeah. unless you're playing a very odd, odd campaign i mean it's almost like um um when you're playing uh the doctor who uh rpg if you're playing a gallifreyan mm. you are playing quite literally at the next level you know you know you, you know it's batman and superman playing in the same um same thing except that you know um you're actually more a lot more powerful than superman in you know in comparison to, to batman sort of thing because your 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 knowledge yeah. is so much better your you know your abilities are so much better and the fact that you've got two hearts basically means that it's almost impossible to, to, to bloody kill you. But uh... mm. yeah, this is the thing that didn't come up when we were playing the RPG. The way the uh, Cubicle Seven game does it is title will have a lot yes. fewer plot points, which yes. everybody needs. 
yeah. to get stuff done. I mean, basically, the, a lot of the time, the Time Lord is just basically sitting in the background because they can't do the sexy, mad thing because th- that's not their role. It's basically their role is basically just to be uh, Deus Ex Machina, basically, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, pretty much. Uh, but no, I mean, but Ask Magic is, is really good. I mean, I've played a couple of games of, uh, of that where um, you're going out because um, you know your 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 mage has turned around and said, "Well, I need some of this. You need to go there. It needs to be picked in this way mm. on this day using this magical sickle." Um, and it's basically for mm-hmm. this ritual. Mm. Um, and he sent 20 or 30 people, or, well, not 20, or he sent, he sent five or 10 people over there. Um, and unfortunately, so has that made, and so has that made, and so has that. And so basically, you've got the arguments over, is there enough for us all? Well, no. But there's enough for a couple of us, so we, so t- two groups could bag, gang up against each other, and um, bits and pieces, and you know, you start, um, you know, but, but again, it's, it's, it's a lot more, there is a whole load of stuff going on, but it's so above our, our pay grade. Mm. Um, yeah. But it feeds down into here. Yes. Stuff we and, have to you do. know, and, and you being asked to do this mad thing. What, why do I have to stand on one leg to do this? Mm. You know, <laughs> Turn around three times, Widdishins. What the hell's a Widdishin? You know, and, <laughs> and a root vegetable. Yes. Very popular uh, in France. Yeah. Um, uh, you know. And, uh, on that note, I'm afraid I'm going to have to, uh, yes, oh, God, very vegetable. Yes. Uh, it's probably witted on a lot. <laughs> that was so much fun. Yeah, no. Yeah. Oh, thank you all. Oh, um, I enjoyed that. Yeah. Catch up with you soon. Okay. Hopefully yeah. see you guys next week. See yeah, you. Bye-bye. Bye.